Let's just say I put him in a hole and threw away the hole. And welcome to the Suicide Squadcast. This is the DC Universe podcast where we discuss the DC Extended Universe movies and TV shows. Yeah, we're big fans of what DC Comps is doing on the big and small screen, so we want to make sure that we talk all about it. Yep, so thanks for joining us today, and let's go ahead and get us started. First of all, my name is Tim. And I'm Scott. And Tim, how was your week so far? Well, Scott, this has been a crazy week. So not only with all the holiday craziness, but today I actually just got back from Chicago not all that long ago. Uh, went and took the kids up to the Adler Planetarium. Uh, right up on uh, the lake. So it was a pretty good time for that. Oh, yay. I've been drinking beer, reading comics all day. Woohoo! <laughs> well, what came first, the the beer or the comics? Actually, the comics first. The okay. beer came late. <laughs> Actually, I take that back. I bought my comics this morning because it's Wednesday when we're recording. Mm. I then went and bought the beer after I bought the comics, but I started reading the comics before drinking the beer. Okay, there we go. That sounds like a logical order to me. So. I would think so. Yep. But, you know, that's life. But, uh, yeah, I'm just excited. This is the very last recording we're actually doing in in 2015. Uh, we're actually going to be posting this in 2016, but uh, this has been such a fun last quarter of the year, actually, since we started the show. I know, I can't believe it, and we are devoting it to our listeners tonight as we're doing an all-Q&A listener special. I know. So, uh, so guys, there's been some news that has dropped this week, and for the most part, we're probably not going to touch on it. We'll we'll save that for the next episode, but uh, we got, I think I last count, we have about 40 to 45 questions that we've gotten from listeners, and <laughs> Scott and I talked right before recording, and we're going to go ahead and answer all of them. So I'm going to go ahead, and it, 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 I'm waiting for Tim to say, this might be our longest episode yet. <laughs> How about you just go ahead and say that now at the beginning of the show instead of waiting until the end of the show to say that? This might be our longest episode yet. Okay, good. Okay. You got good. that out of the way. Check <laughs> so, the box. Check good. the box. Okay. All right. So let's go ahead and get started. First of all, now, the, okay, I've gotten a couple questions. There's been a couple bits of news that have been Suicide Squad and BVS related that have got multiple questions from listeners on. I just want to go ahead and t- kind of touch on them real quick before we get into the questions. The first one is there was a trailer description that was dropped by Umberto Gonzalez from Heroic Hollywood and it was a trailer description of the next or we'll say the f- the first official Suicide Squad trailer that's going to be debuting that we found out today. I think on January 19th that's actually going to debut in a special on The CW and I think it's going to be hosted by Kevin Smith and I think Jeff Johns may even be part of it as well. So you said what was the date that's going to air again? On January 19th. So that's going to be with the premiere of The Flash. Um, Yeah, I would guess so. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. And then the second bit of the news that actually came out today, uh, supposedly somebody had seen an early screening of Batman v Superman, and it was apparently last night. And this person apparently broke the non-disclosure agreement that they had signed and posted a review of Batman v Superman on Reddit. And I saw a lot of different news sites report reporting on it today. And I went and looked at the review. But when I kind of read through it, it it seemed like it was kind of built on information that was all been widely speculated or just little bits of information that we had seen about the film or heard about the film. It seemed like this supposed reviewer was just trying to put something out there to make people think that he actually saw the film. And I got to tell you, I am not buying it at all. I think this is fake, but uh, we'll just kind of leave it at that. 
because I had a couple of people asking me about it, but uh, I don't buy it at all. And I'm fairly certain in my mind that it's fake. I, w- I mean, what would Warner Brothers gain by showing it to the public at this point? I mean, they already have a final cut of the film. At this point, it's like, why chance it? Like, it's not because if they if they recut it, they have to resubmit it for an NPA rating again. Right. I guess that would be the case. I mean, I, I think uh, it's not unusual that uh, studios would do screenings of films. I mean, we actually just heard that about, uh, I think, what is it, King Arthur? They just did some initial screenings of this film, and they decided to postpone the film a whole year based on it. Supposedly, the film came out so poorly reacted to by their screeners that they decided to go back to basically recut the whole film. But I, I think a film like this, with as much secrecy as they've tried to uh, maintain with it, I, I just don't think they would pick the average Joe and uh, just throw somebody out there that they didn't trust that would keep their the secrecy. And so, yeah. so I'm not really buying it. Let's remember, too, I mean, wasn't it um, wasn't it something that was posted on Reddit last year, um, or actually it was earlier this year, at the beginning of the year, that supposedly Batman v Superman was going to be split into two films. <laughs> that was based on some random picture that somebody had posted on the internet uh, on Reddit. So anyway, so I... I would advise our listeners to take it completely with a grain of salt. I, I wouldn't even buy into it, to be honest with you. So so that's it. I just want to kind of touch on those because I was getting hit up on those today uh, through Twitter. So moving on, I think it is time for us to get over to the listeners. Definitely. Scott, why don't you lead us off here? Okay, so Adam Stabelli sent in this question, and I, to be honest, I've been racking my brain since he posed this question. Uh, who would you like to score Suicide Squad and the other DCEU films? Yeah. And my my problem with answering this question is every composer that I would think about to score a DCEU film has already scored <laughs> a DC film at this point. Yeah. So the problem is that all my favorites have already been used up. John Williams has already been used. Yeah. Danny Elfman has already been used. I'm, I mean, Hans Zimmer has already been used mm-hmm. and is being used for Batman v Superman. Yeah. So it's kind of one of those things where I've only got about two other movie composers that I actually know who they are by name. I mean, yeah. David Arnold is one, and he did uh, he's done, except for I think uh, Spectre, he's done all the modern era James Bond movies, mm-hmm. and so I enjoy him. And Thomas Newman. So okay. except for those two, and I'm not even saying I want them to score, I'm just saying I don't know any other names to even suggest. Yeah, I really think that these films need to benefit from somebody new kind of, you know, cutting their teeth and bringing a new sound. Kind of like Junkie XL, mm-hmm. who is co-scoring a uh, Batman v Superman with Hans Zimmer. Right. That's a brilliant idea because I didn't even think of him as a as a composer. I just thought of him as like a remixer. Right. So you know, I think at this point, I want an unknown. I don't want someone that I actually know who they are before I see the movie. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's pretty clear. I, I'll be completely honest here. I basically worship at the altar of Hans Zimmer, and uh, so I I love the idea of Hans being involved with the main. We'll call him kind of like the mainline films of the DCEU. So that includes uh, starting with Man of Steel and then leading into Batman v Superman. And I hope he's also involved in Justice League Part 1 and 2. Well, I think he'll be involved in whatever the the Zack Snyder directed films are. Right. Yeah. And I I expect that to be the case because I think they all kind of need to have kind of the same feel. And they they will just because Zack is making the films. But I've pretty much loved every single thing he's done. Um, You know, The Amazing Spider-Man. I loved uh, Sherlock Holmes. Everything he did with uh, Dark Knight, etc. He's just by far my favorite. But I got to 
tell you, I've loved the stuff I've heard from Junkie XL as well, you know, as part of Batman v Superman. So that's kind of where I'm at. But I'm, I'm with you, you know, John Williams, uh, Danny Elfman, those, you know, those guys, obviously, <laughs> you, you can't go wrong with either one of those as well. But I like the idea of getting new blood as well. So yeah, the, the thing is that John Williams and Danny Elfman, the reason those names come to mind is that they're the ones that if I hear a score, you, yeah. I can I can name it before I even know who it is. Yeah. Well, one last thing about uh, Adam Stabelli, just he's actually the first one that has ever written us a five star written review. And I just kind of want to point that out. So yeah, thank you again, Adam, for that. He's been here from the very beginning. So moving on, this is from David W. Now, what we're going to do here, we've we've got some guys that have asked multiple questions. We're going to go ahead and run through them all at the same time. So let's go ahead and run through David's questions. First question from David was, have you guys considered recording longer episodes if it doesn't cost more money? And I'll basically, my answer on that is I think one hour is a good show time for us, uh, not only just for the kind of content that we put out. I, I think time commitment wise for Scott and my time, uh, one hour is a good show. It's not just the show time that you actually hear. It's the time that we have to put towards actually recording the content and then the, the time that I'm putting towards producing the actual episode. If I were to do a two hour show, it would it would basically double our time. <laughs> so you got to think about it, guys, you hear one hour of recorded material that that has been produced after about three hours of us talking. Yep. And then who knows how many hours of Tim editing it. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a bunch. <laughs> we, we, we can't do long. We really don't want to do longer episodes only because we don't have the time to do longer episodes. Yeah. Cause we record on Friday nights traditionally and, re- and we hope to be released by Sunday morning and Tim's busting his butt just to make that happen sometimes. Yeah. And I will say this as a, as a listener of podcasts myself, I've kind of found when I listen to podcasts that run longer than an hour and a half to two hours, I, you know, I'll listen to them for a little while. And then after a while, it just becomes too much. I cannot really commit that much time to listening to a podcast. And, you know, we produce a weekly show, even through the holidays, as you've seen, we are putting out content every week. And I think one hour to let's say an hour and 20 minutes is our target at this point. So that's what we're going to shoot for. Uh, We don't we don't really want to go any longer than that. And, uh, you know, and I think for a listener too, like I said, it's a time commitment for the listener as well. So second question from David W. He says, does the league need to have seven, uh, no more, no less? founding members. And he's talking about the Justice League. And my answer on that would be that it doesn't need to be seven. I know that's kind of like somewhat of a kind of a tradition in the comics, but uh, I don't think any of that really matters. I would basically say that, you know, it seems like Zack Snyder's kind of hinted that anyway with the the picture he sent out of Aquaman. He said, you know, unite the seven. Well, I think the point here with David's question is he says founding members. And I'm going to say I'm a traditionalist. Yes, because I always referred, I I mean, they're even referred to as the big seven. Now, Mm -hmm. who those seven are have changed over the years, but there is an established, there's an established tradition that when the Justice League is originally formed, there are seven heroes. And then of course they get new members and it grows from there. But I kind of say, yes, I'd say founding members seven, and then it grows from there. Yeah. And I say it doesn't matter. So, but I would say, you know, the second part of David W's question here was, you know, would there still be room for Martian Manhunter? And uh, to me, Martian Manhunter, Manhunter does not need to be one of the seven, but I've got this, you know, feeling that somehow Martian Manhunter is going to be involved with uniting the seven. And uh, we'll just kind of see how that all plays out. You know, hopefully we'll get little hints of that in Batman v Superman. But I want there to be room for Martian Manhunter because I want him. I, I want him in the DCE. Oh, yeah. He'll, so, he'll, he'll yes, be there. there will be room because <laughs> I need him in to I need there 
going to be room for him. Scott, give us uh, David's next question. Oh, I love this one. I know that having Brainiac originate from Krypton was a Deanie Tim idea. He's talking about Superman, the animated series. Yeah. Uh, but what about the collect info, then dire- destroy planet MO? Because I'd love to see that part be played out in the DCEU. Well, that's always been uh, Brainiac's origin, that he is collect information mm-hmm. and then destroy and then destroy the planet afterward so that he is the sole collector of the information. Yes, that is that's classic mm-hmm. Brainiac. But you are correct, David, that the idea of Brainiac being of Kryptonian origin was an idea derived from Superman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. And I thought it worked very well in the Animated Series for Brainiac to be Kryptonian. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and I'm basically, you know, I'm open to any different interpretation, you know, as long as the story is good. And we got to remember, you know, most of the, I would say some of the best Superman and Batman stories or, you know, maybe even Justice League, etc. Um, some of the best stories were not canon. And I think, you know, as fans, we should always be in, open to all kinds of different interpretations of characters. And, uh, you know, we're certainly getting that with Joker uh, between, you know, we've seen lots of different incarnations of Joker. And uh, I think just as fans, uh, don't be stuck on, you know, being tied to the source material 100%. I like it to be, you know, uh, to be in a line with the source material, but doesn't have to be completely faithful to it. I, I want whatever works for the story to play out and, and be what kind of drives what they do with characters. And the source material changes itself. Let's not forget that. That's the one thing about DC is that when it reinvents itself, uh, source material changes. Right. So what so what was canon in the Silver Age changes in the Bronze Age, which then changes in the Modern Age. And as DC fans, we should understand that the, who, the version of the character that we're most familiar with is not always the real one. It's just the one that was around when we started reading comics. Right. Because then he goes on to ask about what is uh, Brainiac's composition in the comics. Is he still a malevolent AI as a green humanoid with red dots? <laughs> and uh, well, in the in the New 52 uh, post Flashpoint, he's actually kind of everything. Uh, if you read Convergence this summer, they kind of uh, – allowed for every version of every character who has ever existed <laughs> to say they're all canon now. They yeah. all exist in some form or fashion. So Brainiac is every version of Brainiac you've ever seen, even though he started off in Grant Morrison's Run in Action Comics as just strictly an AI. Mm-hmm. But they did introduce the idea of the uh, the green-skinned alien who has computer components uh, surgically implanted in him. Okay. So once again, it's just which version of Brainiac are you talking about? Right. Because there are so many different kinds. Well, and then David has one final question. He says, you know, is it possible for the nightmare in Batman v Superman to be a possible future premonition vision sent to Batman by Martian Manhunter? And he goes on and says, you know, it's a future where Superman is global overlord and apocalypse apocalypse attacks and Superman ends up not strong enough to cover the whole planet. And uh, I guess my answer on that would be, you know, I, I, I kind of feel like, you know, a, if all these uh, scenes that we've seen that we know to be somewhat of a dream sequence or something along those lines. I, to me, those things feel like they have to have a lot more meat to them than being simply just a dream. I mean, especially when you consider like we saw the flying creatures in the, the latest trailer. A lot of people would just say, well, why would Batman even know about flying creatures? And why would he think that? And they because they very much look like the parademons from Apocalypse. And I agree. I think that there's got to be a lot more to this. And so I totally feel like um, this could either be a premonition 
uh, given to, you know, Bruce Wayne or Batman uh, by Martian Manhunter, or it could be, you know, something like maybe even something from Wonder Woman. And uh, we don't really know, but I feel like that there has to be definitely something there. And, and I, for one, am kind of a believer that Martian Manhunter is, you know, providing these little visions, but we'll see. Scott, what do you feel about that? Uh, I'm just waiting to see the movie. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I'm going to be honest, guys. I don't try to think that too hard about it. Mm-hmm. I don't. I just want to go in the movie and go, yay. You know, my, my mantra when I will go into a movie is kind of Russell Crowe's character from Gladiator, which is, are you not entertained? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, all I want to be is entertained. Mm-hmm. So I do know that something has to be up because I will lay down my integrity and my, that those are parademons in that trailer. Yeah. But I agree with how the heck does Batman know about parademons? So something's up. Yeah. I don't know what's up, but something's up. Yep. And, uh, well, Brent Clark, our friend from Comics on TV, has sent us a question. Yep. I like this one. Yeah. Who is a dream character that hasn't been announced for a movie that you would like to see? <laughs> G- go for it, Tim. Oh. Who would... Who, who's who has not been announced that you want in a movie? Oh, I mean, I've got several. <laughs> um, well, uh, he says, who is a, so you get one. Okay. Who's your number one choice that you want in the movies that hasn't been announced yet? I, I can't give you a number one choice. I'll, let me rattle off a few real quick here. No, uh, no, no, no. Give me one. Ted Cord, Blue Beetle. <laughs> I'd like to see Kate Spencer, Manhunter. I'd like to see that character. Uh, I'd like to see Firestorm. Though. Okay. And even Captain Adam. So, I mean, I've got several that, that I, I want to see, and I don't need to see them right away. You know, these are characters that can that can roll in, you know, you know, five years from now if uh, the DCE just keeps progressing. But uh, these are characters I do want to see. Okay. How okay. about you? Deathstroke. Deathstroke. Okay. I, I want Deathstroke. I mean, I know we got a, I know Manu Bennett gave a wonderful performance in Arrow, mm-hmm. but I feel like he gave a wonderful performance as Slade Wilson, and there was never really given enough opportunity to be Deathstroke. Yeah. And so I want a kick butt Deathstroke in okay. costume, machine guns and katana blades and the whole nine yards. Well, we've already seen that uh what bruce wayne is actually really deathstroke right i mean that's the big rumor going around <laughs> the fan oh, theory stop. have you heard that by the way no i haven't it's ridiculous and i'm not even going to discuss it <laughs> moving on moving on i moving agree on. <laughs> oh this is this is a great question I, I love this one from scott braidwood and he gets right to the point uh, he says how did it all go wrong with the green lantern film and uh brent clark also touched on this as well so let's get right to that question <laughs> scott how did it all go wrong well see here's the thing i got i got i got get some history about my relationship to the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie. Mm-hmm. I did not see it in theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I waited and I I either I think I actually did like a pay-per-view on my on my satellite TV and watched it at home and I actually went out and bought the Blu-ray, the extended cut that came out. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think it was that bad. Mm-hmm. Was it great? No. Was yeah. it good? No. It was mediocre. It, it, but it, but I had heard so much terrible things about it that when I finally saw the movie, I was like, well, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but did it go wrong? Yes. I will I will acknowledge that it went wrong. And here's what I said. Uh, two things. Here, here are my two major complaints about the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie. Uh, one, way too much time spent on Earth. If you're a space cop, you should be in space. Hmm. You know, you shouldn't be coming back to earth and two 
way too many villains. I'm sorry, you don't put <laughs> yeah. par- you don't put Parallax in your first Green Lantern movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had Parallax, right. you had Hector Hammond, and Sinestro got no screen time whatsoever, and you had Mark Strong yeah. as Sinestro. <laughs> that was fantastic. Yes. And then with absolutely no motivation whatsoever, you've got that in credit scene where he gets the yellow ring, mm-hmm. and it's like, but you didn't give me any motivation yeah. for that whatsoever. Right. Uh, but the rest of the movie was okay. I thought I loved the way they did the constructs. Mm-hmm. I thought that was yeah. done very well. Ryan Reynolds was okay as Hal Jordan. I didn't mm-hmm. think he was terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just thought it was too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. Too much stuff put in the blender, and you don't go for a villain like Parallax in your very first movie, and then do a version of Parallax that really doesn't match up with uh, who Parallax is in the comics. Right. Well, and I don't necessarily have a total problem with the Parallax uh, not really matching the comics, uh, but to me, it's I agree 100% that there were just too many villains. I mean, for one, um, I thought the Hector Hammond villain was almost laughable. Like, to me, it was uh, the way he's being portrayed in the film, I, I just thought was just so poorly done and uh but i agree i mean if if you were going to decide to have hector hammond then go all in with just hector hammond and do him yes. right. yes yeah and now i have not read jeff john's secret origins arc in green lantern mm-hmm. but from what i understand that film borrowed uh heavily from right. his secret origins arc and i'm looking forward to getting to that part of jeff john's run and seeing basically what should the movie what the movie could have been right. if it had been closer to what jeff john's had originally written in the comics yeah. so i don't know and i didn't really have a problem with them uh kind of you know starting off in space and then coming back to earth I, I was actually quite okay with that to me it didn't feel it didn't feel like they switched up the movie like i've heard a lot of criticism um i mean i thought it was fine you know you, you got to have some really great scenes over on Oa, uh, showing him training, and you got to see Mark Strong, which was incredible, as Sinestro. And, you know, and going back on Earth, I thought was fine. I mean, to me, it's it's a lot more relatable to the average average viewer uh, of the film, but they just really lost it. To me, I, I thought, to me, Hector Hammond was not a great villain to start off with, or at least he wasn't done right. He was done pretty poorly. But I actually, the other thing that I really had a problem with is I genuinely had a problem with the mask. <laughs> I never, really? Yeah, I never, ever thought the mask looked good. Like, to me, it looked awkward. Word. It didn't really have the flow and the feel that I think is so iconic from the comics. And so, yeah, I, I generally had a, a problem with the mask. I, I just kind of wish they would have just gotten rid of it entirely and just had him go without a mask. I would have much rather had that. But yeah, I mean, to me, I think that's that's pretty much it. I I, um, I agree, Scott. I don't think the film was terrible, um, like what I was hearing, you know, in all the reviews. You got to remember, if you put this film out, I think this is what, a 2011 film. If this film had gone out like 10 years earlier, it would have been... And probably the the most hyped and loved film of all time and and uh for you know comic books because it was a lot of really cutting edge stuff but i mean the the kind of the quality storytelling that, that we expect now it it simply wasn't in that film and that was really kind of the biggest problem oh yeah th- we were we were living in a post dark knight world yeah yeah that's exactly right so it's uh i i mean uh, you know i'm not i'm not gonna say it it was a terrible film uh but uh it definitely doesn't meet my expectations for superhero films today yeah and then scott had one other question is what will take in more money Deadpool or Suicide Squad and Scott goes ahead and says he thinks it's going to be Deadpool oh Scott no 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 man I hate to tell you this but there is no way Deadpool is making more money than Suicide Squad I I don't know no there's no way come on we can make a wager on this right now Scott which Scott I'm talking about you Scott (laughs) co-host of Suicide Squad cast I mean Suicide Squad is PG-13 Deadpool is going to be rated R 
you that that has a huge impact on the amount of money that this thing takes in. I I don't know. I really uh, Suicide Squad has Harley Quinn in it. it has Joker. It's going to have Batman in it. It's got you know, Amanda I, Waller. Come on. This is going to this is going to make hands down it's going to make way more money than Deadpool. I uh, okay. Uh I'm also looking at the release time. Like it Deadpool's coming out early in the year. Suicide Squad's coming out in August. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's going to I have to say I think the thing is that right now I'm in the middle of all the Deadpool hype. Mm-hmm. You know, I th- th- there was a really funny IMAX trailer that they aired right before Star Wars that mm-hmm. even my dad kind of laughed at. And my dad is probably not going to see this movie because it's not his thing. <laughs> yeah. But I got to admit, it's it's going to be fun. It's going to it's going to be a fun movie. Yeah. I mean, so if, I don't know. I'll see it as well. I mean, I'm not I'm not like a big Deadpool fan, but um you know, I think it'll be one of these movies that I'll probably watch once, get a bunch of chuckles out of it. But I got to be honest, when I watch the trailers and, and I kind of really dig down into what they're showing, I, I'm, I've i got a feeling that this is going to be one of these kind of movies that is just not going to be reviewed all that well. Well, I don't think it's going to be reviewed. It's going to be one of those movies. I don't, I don't care if it's reviewed. Well, I don't think it'll be fun. I just don't. I, I just uh, I just have a feeling like some of the scenes that I've seen, I don't I don't see it being something that like to me, it's not coming off as going to be that that it's going to be a great film so so i don't know we'll see i i would say uh we'll we'll say scott and i have a small little wager on this right scott i'm not gonna say i'm wagering i'm just <laughs> i'm not i i i'm that's saying I'm we're wagering anything man. financial here we're not wagering anything financial but we'll just say a little bet um i think it's gonna be suicide squad hands down but we'll see i think deadpool's gonna edge it out really okay yeah okay. and and this is coming from a guy who's hosting a show called the suicide squad cast <laughs> yeah and on that note we're gonna be interviewing new co-host uh, starting next week. <laughs> so, all right, moving on. Brad Burns, uh, another friend of the show here. Uh, Brad asks, what would you think of Neil Patrick Harris playing the Riddler? All I have to say is legend, wait for it. So, I don't know. Is that a How You Met Your Mother reference? Yeah. Okay, I didn't watch that show. <laughs> so I was just like, this, I, I had no idea what he was talking about. Yep. Um, so, what would I think of him playing the Riddler? I gotta be honest with you. I love Neil Patrick Harris. I don't know that I would be able to get past seeing Neil Patrick Harris if he was playing the Riddler. Really? Was, you, 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 you'd have that kind of compunction? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, it's the same thing with like Jim Carrey. You know, I, I think I would just see Neil Patrick Harris, but I'm probably not giving him enough credit because he's, he's also a pretty phenomenal actor and he's, he's got, got some really, talent. He's got a lot of talent. So I could see him really kind of like immersing himself in a character and just kind of becoming somebody that you really don't see him. You don't really see Neil. You see, you know, you would see the Riddler. So I don't have you seen, well, let me ask, have you seen Gone Girl? I have, yeah. I think uh, based on his performance in that film, I think he could pull it off. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think he has the ability to, to do that. I, I just think if he was acting, you know, the kind of humorous type of Riddler, I would see Neil Patrick Harris. But if it's a much more complex and maybe a lot more along the lines of how he's being played in Gotham right now, maybe maybe I wouldn't see Neil Patrick Harris so much. See, for me, I always like, I, I, I want the version of the Riddler like I saw in Batman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. That's the Riddler I like. Right. I don't want the I don't want the Frank Gorshin Riddler who is right. practically the Joker right. in a leotard, which is basically what Jim Carrey did. Jim yeah. Carrey just did Jim Carrey's version of Frank Gorshin. Right. And so if I can get more of the, you know, the green suit with the bowler hat with the cane kind of Riddler, mm-hmm. who's much more methodical and, you know, that kind 
of computer genius kind of guy. I could see Neil Patrick Harris playing that version of the Riddler. Yeah. Now, I, I would say this. I don't know that he would be my first choice, but uh, if he was uh, signed on to play the role, um, I would definitely give him complete benefit of the doubt on this. And and then just knowing his ability as an actor, I would I would definitely be, you know, I would be psyched from that point on saying, hey, I can't wait to see what he does. But uh, I don't know. So that's kind of my answer on that. Okay. All right. Next one. This one's you. Oh, it is. All right. The next question here is from Kanai Adkins. And the question is, what do you think about DCCU possibly adding Deathstroke to a standalone Batman film? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, Deathstroke in a standalone Batman film. I mean, that would be phenomenal. I would definitely love to see it. So, I mean, yeah, my thought or my simple answer is yes. Go back to my go back to the original question of what character has not been announced that you want to see. Deathstroke. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I think it would be I would be quite epic. So I am completely all on board and all for it. So. So we have Daniel Reyes who asks Marvel has the Infinity War. Could DC build up the crisis on infinite Earths? It would explain all the shows and movies. Right. Uh, here's my reaction to that. I don't think they need to be explained. Yeah. Uh, that's my that and we have several questions coming up in this episode about the the TV universes and the movie universe and mm-hmm. all I have to say is what why why yeah. does it need to be explained why do they need to be connected it, can't they just be and so what my reaction to this question is I don't think they need to build a crisis on infinite earth mm-hmm. I don't think the movies I, I really don't feel like the movie universe needs that kind of storytelling mm-hmm. in it do they need a cri- could I see a crisis of some sort? Maybe more like a crisis of two Earths kind of thing, right. where it's just they they meet up with Earth 2 or they meet up with an Earth 3 and it's kind of like a crime syndicate thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't see an anti-monitor is destroying the multiverse and we're trying to save it. I, I don't, I think that's going to a point that we don't need. Yeah. And especially if the only reason to do it is to explain all the separate universes where we got Arrow and Flash and Legends of Tomorrow here, we got Supergirl here, we got Gotham here, and we've got the movies over here like no they're just separate and i feel like as comic book fans we just we should accept that because don't we don't we know that we can read multiple comic books that have the same character and realize oh this is a different version of the character and this is a different version of the character right yeah i mean i think as a fan you know i mean you know i have a a very soft place in my heart for crisis on infinite earth i mean to me that was just something that when i first read it um you know as it was actually being published it was just to me it was phenomenal it was everything that i kind of wanted as a comic book fan but I will say this you know the, the me as a, a fan to actually see a, a quick homage to it I'd be thrilled about it but I would be like a tenth of a percent of the actual viewers that would actually see a movie that would even really care about it uh, I mean it's 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 not necessary and uh, you know I really don't need to see Tom Welling from Smallville show up on the big screen and try to say that this explains why he could exist at the same time as Henry Cavill I don't need to see that <laughs> so and I uh- I'm gonna I'm gonna burst your bubble here, Tim. I've, I actually last year finally read Crisis on Infinite mm-hmm. Earths for the first time. It does not hold up well. Oh, oh wow! I'm gonna, uh, I know, I know. Hey, you poo pooed on Dark Knight Returns. I get to poo poo <laughs> on Crisis on Infinite Earth. Um, uh. I, 
Uh, it just it, it it by modern by modern writing. I'm sure in the 80s when you were reading it, it was great, mm-hmm. but to go back and read it like like 30 years later, it is just a completely different era of storytelling mm-hmm. that doesn't quite it doesn't quite translate to a modern audience. I feel so. Uh, Marv Wolfman and George Perez, uh, I would like to apologize for my co-host on that. Um, so <laughs> it, hey, I love their new Teen Titans. Yes, I'm just yeah. talking about Crisis. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. Uh, uh, I guess we can agree to disagree on that one. But, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, maybe go back to answering the question. We we don't need to see it. So yeah, it doesn't need to be explained. I think, I think what Scott said is 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 probably the best answer. We got Aaron Wachowiak, and he's got several questions here. I'll take the first one here. It says, I've been listening since the beginning. Thank you, Aaron. Love the knowledge and insight, and wondered if y'all thought about talking about the topics, such as the small screen actors, such as Stephen Amell, Grant Gustin, playing the same role on the big screen. I know a while back, Amell tried to launch a campaign to try to get Grant Gustin as the spot for the movie Flash on BVS uh, in Justice League. You know, what are your thoughts? Um, I'll go ahead and start off on this one. I, you you know, I love Stephen Amell. I love Grant Gustin. Uh, I think these guys excel in the the type of show that they can be on. Uh, like, for example, you have Arrow. You have a show that, you know, you have 23 episodes a season where you get to develop the character. And um, the same thing with Grant Gustin. Uh, I think those guys do great in a TV role, but I would be completely honest. And let me just kind of preface this and say that these guys are exceptionally better at acting than I am, but these are not your big screen actors. These are not the big screen talent that we should really see uh, on the big screen. Um, I know I think Stephen Amell is great and Grant Gustin is great, but I, I, if, if you can tell me that we may get somebody like a Colin Farrell that can come in and play one of these roles, and I'm just throwing it out there, I would take somebody like that instead. So I don't really, I, I like these guys to kind of stay in their little universe and kind of build upon that there, but I, I don't want, I don't want them crossing over onto the big screen, or I don't even want them playing uh, the same role in, in a different universe on the big screen. I, I think they should just kind of stay where they're at. So that's my opinion. And then Manny also says, should DC bring Stephen Amell into the DC Summit Universe's Green Arrow? And oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's the same question. It's like, no, guys, we have our TV shows. Yeah. We have we have this great, structured Greg Berlanti, Andrew Kreisberg, Mark Guggenheim created mm-hmm. universe on television. That is wonderful. And we get to enjoy we get to enjoy it week after week after week. Right. I do not want that interrupted uh or tainted by films that, you know a character may only appear in a film once a year. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't I don't desire that. I can watch my TV show and see a version of Flash and then walk in the movie theater and see another version of Flash and be perfectly okay. Yeah. So no, no, separate. Go into your own corners and excel in those areas. Give me an exceptional TV show I can enjoy every week and then give me an exceptional movie that I'm going to see like, you know, once a year. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's be clear. I mean, you know, if we allow the DCEU filmmakers to be to tell their story and they're going to have a complex story here involving several films that they're hopefully going to be doing here for decades, um, hopefully. But um, I don't want to have them hampered and have to dictate and do anything that they need to do in their story or their universe based on what happens in the TV universe. And uh, so this is the great advantage that DC has right now is because they had rightfully so chosen to keep those separate. 
it. And I think that allows the showrunners and the TV shows and the filmmakers and the movies to tell the best stories. Three words. Yep. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> right. Yes. I'm sorry. It, d- d- season one. W- season one was terrible. Season mm-hmm. two wasn't that great either. Season three is kind of picked up. But the point is that it exists in, a, in the movie universe, but it doesn't get to play with all the cool toys because those toys are being saved for mm-hmm. the movies. Yeah. And then also there is no reason that you have to see Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to understand the movies. Yeah. So it, it makes the TV a second class citizen. I have no desire for Arrow or The Flash or Legends of Tomorrow or Supergirl or Gotham to be second class citizens. Yeah. I want them to excel at what they do. Yeah. And I was pretty happy with Green Arrow this year, actually, that we we still continue to see Amanda Waller. And uh, so that that kind of shows me that it seems like the what of the creative council that we talked about in a previous episode between Warner Brothers uh, movies and TV that they're they're kind of collaborating together and and some characters are allowing to be used in two different places and and uh, you know I'm I'm hoping to see a lot more of that and we'll maybe touch on that when we talk about Martian Manhunter some more because we saw Martian Manhunter and Supergirl I I still have high hopes that you know he'll show up in and also in the movies and and be used at the same time and in the two different media and um, and I think as fans we should be completely okay with that and not expect that they have to be the same mm-hmm. now Aaron's got a, a loaded question that's coming it's basically a paragraph but it's all <laughs> it's all interconnected but I think for the sake of making sure that we answer Aaron's question we're going to kind of break this up into chunks right uh, his first question is do y'all think we will ever have a live action Batman TV show my answer is no yeah I, I would really say probably don't. not okay. at least not not with the current version I, I I think there's a possibility we may see something like a Batman Beyond but it would not be the, what we would call the present day Batman and I would even go as far to say and I'll explain this later I don't want a live action Batman TV show mm-hmm. before you shoot me uh, we'll talk when we get to the rest <laughs> of Aaron's question I want to I want to put that out there right uh, his next comment is we all know how terrible Gotham is uh, Aaron I disagree it is not terrible mm, yeah I would disagree with that as well no it's it's not it's getting better it was mediocre just I've seen terrible TV that's not terrible TV yeah it had some struggles the first season there's no doubt uh, yeah. but the second season if you've given up on it give second season uh, a chance again because the showrunners definitely recognize the problems that they had with the first season and they've gone a long way to correcting those issues and then of course he acknowledges the fact that Bruce Wayne won't become Batman until you know the last episode they basically said the the final shot of the last episode will be him putting on the cape and cowl right uh, and is that the right time to introduce it with all the Marvel and DC shows out there being a hit at least most of them or would it have the opposite effect and be diluted because there are so many out there already I know with Batman being such a huge character that there is a big risk of failure if they don't do it right but if they do it sure to have the highest ratings among all the superhero shows and probably outperform even the Flash's ratings but let's face it if we haven't seen a small screen Batman in a long time and people want to see it mm-hmm. and do people really want a Batman TV show well I mean there's definitely people that would want to see it I mean I would say you know kind of looking at it from a distance I mean it, it, I think the right call is to not have one your most significant and iconically portrayed Batman is going to be on the silver screen or the animated series I mean I, here's the thing <laughs> I, the problem with a live action Batman show is I don't feel like a live action TV show has the budget or the opportunity to do Batman the way I want Batman to be done yeah an animated TV show of Batman could do Batman the way I want Batman done well, a sure, big yeah. screen version can do it I don't feel like a TV show and as some critics will say we already have a live action Batman TV show it's called Arrow yeah <laughs> you know it's one of those things where I don't need it and I don't want it I've got my cartoons and I've got my my Batfleck I'm, yeah. I'm good right okay um, Aaron actually went on and he asked you know what are we all looking forward to see 
seeing the most in a Suicide Squad movie? Um, I mean, the answer is pretty simple for me. Amanda Waller. <laughs> I want to see Amanda Waller. That's who I am most looking forward to in the movie. But maybe more so, I want to see a very dysfunctional group and all the problems that of trying to put these uh, all these different characters that have all their different agendas and and just some bad folks being thrown together and trying to work together. I, I basically want to see a disaster. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping to see. Yes, yeah. uh, you took the answer right out of my mouth. Yeah. I, I, w- I want to see bad people doing quasi maybe kind of okay things, but doing it in a bad way and not getting along. Yeah, right. And then and then the last thing I would say in this, I want to see a confrontation between Batman and Amanda Waller. That's what I'm hoping to see in this film. And then he ends up with, even though there are several known actors in Suicide Squad cat and the Suicide Squad cast, do you think that Will Smith's mega stardom will be overbearing on the rest of the cast and dilute the roots of the Suicide Squad? I don't think so. No. I really don't think Will Smith is going to have a negative impact on the film. Uh, I honestly think Will Smith's uh, stardom can only help the film. Mm-hmm. And there are enough actors in Suicide Squad who, while maybe not the level of star that Will Smith is or Will Smith was, mm-hmm. they are becoming quite popular on their own and from completely different audiences, like Cara Delevingne. Right. She's got a little fan base growing there that mm-hmm. is not me. It's not my fan base, but it's going to be a fan base that maybe she can bring people into the film. Yeah. And, you know, there's, you know, you got Margot Robbie and Jared Leto. I mean, they're, they're going to bring different people mm-hmm. to the movie with different expectations. So, no, I don't think that Will Smith is a, uh, a liability in this film. Well, and we've been reading all the different things behind the scenes, and uh, I've read an awful lot of different reports from different cast members, from uh, different sources of people that have been on set and all that. And I, I, there's been no indication whatsoever about it being about Will Smith. It, I think it's been quite the opposite. Will Smith has been very inclusive um, with the cast members. And, um, you know, in, in the end, uh, I would also say this. This is a David Ayer movie. David Ayer, he does not mess around. You're going to do the film his way. And uh, basically, David Ayer is just, he's just a tough guy. And he's not going to put up with any kind of crap like that. If somebody was trying to make this film about them, he would put an end to it. So I, I think you have nothing to worry about here. Yeah. Okay. Clinton Brown goes on to ask, have you guys thought of doing commentary tracks for the Suicide Squad episodes of Arrow? Or how about the Task Force X episode of Justice League Unlimited? Yeah. Clint, I've been asking Tim to do this <laughs> for the last three months. Yeah. Please, Clint, be annoying. <laughs> Tweet Tim. He's the one not letting us do this. Yeah. I so want to do this. Yes. And I and I have already promised Clint a long time ago, and I'll promise it again. We will will do this. I don't know when the right time is going to be, but I would suspect probably more appropriate time would be after Batman v Superman comes out. Uh, as we're leading up to the Suicide Squad movie. And uh, we will definitely touch on those at, at that time. So hang in there. Uh, I know you'll still be with us here six months from now, but uh, we will do it probably closer to the movie. I think it'll be a lot more relevant. Yeah. And Clint, I got to tell you, I love the Task Force X episode of Justice League Unlimited. That was actually my first exposure to the Suicide Squad. So I'm there with you, man. Yeah. I'm there with you. And I'm there with you, too. Just hang tight. <laughs> All right, the next question is from Chance. What would you two think about a Nightwing movie? And he says he thinks it would 
do very well after a standalone Batman film. And uh, my thing on this is, first of all, Chance, we know you're a huge Shazam fan, and you're also a huge Nightwing fan. I, but Chance, now, would a Nightwing be a great movie? I, I think it definitely would. But I think it's something you have to set up over a period of several movies. And I and I think if we're expecting the DCEU to continue on, at some point in time, you know, we're not going to be seeing we're not going to be seeing Ben Affleck play Batman anymore. And if and depending on how DC tries to handle it, you know, let's say five, 10 years from now, as we're getting into, let's say, I don't know what DC will call, but maybe let's just call it phase two or, or the second round of films. You know, at some point in time, DC in the comics, you know, they've always done a really good job of kind of creating like the next generation of replacement characters. Uh, obviously, we had that for Superboy with Superman. We have obviously all the different Robins and Nightwing uh, for Batman. And, and I think DC is probably going to go that route. But you need to establish these characters first. You can't just wholeheartedly go and replace Bruce Wayne. You need to bring in somebody that, you know, the fans are going to latch onto and, and kind of like build a liking for. And, and so I think we will see one at some point someday. I don't know that it'll be a standalone Nightwing movie, but uh, I think we will see him and, and he'll probably play a much more prominent role down the road. I'm going to reserve my answer to this question because there's actually a question that comes later from okay. another listener that ties into this question. And that's where I want to give my answer. All right. Okay. So I'm going to keep you guessing, Chance. I'm going to keep you guessing. All right. Uh, Mark S. asks, I love the idea of doing a podcast and you guys do it so well. Well, thank you, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Uh, can you tell me how you started your podcast and what your routine is? He also asked, how much money do you earn with it? Uh, first off, Mark, <laughs> no. It costs money to do yes. a podcast. You don't make money doing a podcast. No. no. So uh, one, do not get into podcasting if you think it's to make money because it's not. You will it not. Costs, <laughs> you will not make money. Actually, you, it costs you money to do this. You will make negative money. <laughs> you make negative way. money, yes. Yeah. Uh, but, but to answer the first part where you say, can you tell me how you started your podcast and what your routine is? Um, should we reveal our secret origin? No, of Tim? course not. Of course not. Of course not. No. That's why it's secret, right? It's a secret, yeah. But we'll give you our, our so-called origin. Um, basically, both Scott and I were kind of in the same boat. We, you know, we love DC. And I mean, me personally, I listened to various DC podcasts out there and they just weren't exactly what I was looking for. And uh, so basically, you know, after giving it several months, I uh, I just kept looking for different uh, places that I can hear talk about DC and, and I wasn't finding what I was looking for. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to find someone and we're going to go ahead and start it on our own and uh, connected up with Scott and said, look, you know, would you be interested in doing this? And we both decided, yeah, let's definitely do this. And and I would say after we did our first run through on an episode, we decided exactly what our format was going to be. And uh, which wasn't what our first episode was. Yeah, our first episode, which is called the lost episode, we've referred to that before was strictly 100 uh, percent Suicide Squad episode. And uh, after we had recorded that, we kind of like talked about it kind of back and forth a little bit. And we decided let's just go all in with all DC. And that's that's basically how we ended up doing the show that we're doing now. Yeah. As far as our routine goes, um, I brought I brought to this partnership <laughs> knowledge of um, the Google apps and uh, Google Drive, which allows you to work on web based documents, uh, multiple multiple users at the same time. And so basically our routine is that we create a document and we have uh, bullet points of like we know what our talking points are for every episode, especially the movies and the TV shows. Yep. And as the week goes on, we just plug into our uh, the websites and our news feeds and we cut and paste uh, links to the stories throughout the week. From the source material. From the source material throughout the week and then when Tim and I find the time, we type in our personal thoughts so that we know what we want to talk about in the episode and then when Friday 
Friday night hits after we put our kids to bed. We record. Then Tim goes off and does his editing magic. And then magically a podcast shows up on my iPhone on Saturday on Sunday morning. So, you know, it's all <laughs> yeah. magic. Yeah, it's all magic from Scott's end. <laughs> no, but I mean, actually, I mean, I, I am the producer of the of the show. I'm the one that basically wanted to get this thing going. So I, I kind of bear the responsibility for trying to put out the show on a timely manner here. Um, I do do all the recording. I do the editing. I do the producing here. I'm actually just a figment of Tim's imagination, apparently. So no, no, actually, the way I describe this to people is is Scott is absolutely the most invaluable co-host I could ever have. I would I say that without uh, hesitation. So, um, but yeah, just basically throughout the week, we both Scott and I kind of independently work on the show notes and we'll move things around and, you know, we may gray things out that are kind of uninteresting. And, uh, usually kind of Friday night, about an hour before we start recording, I kind of do one last run through on the show notes and kind of move things around maybe just a little bit. And then, uh, before we start recording, Scott and I will just kind of go over it and kind of talk about the show, talk about the flow of it. You know, it, it does take a lot of work. It, it takes a lot of work to try to put out some something that kind of that flows right that um, that hopefully we're keeping interesting for the entire hour hour 20 minutes that we we actually produce a show so I don't know yeah and we guys we live in different states so yeah. I mean literally Friday night when we record it's like the only time we actually talk to each other right Every, all of the rest of our talking is just you know us cut and pasting because I mean I'm a teacher so like I'm sitting there in my in the lunchroom you know watching the kids and, I'm, and I'll be just thumbing through Facebook going oh that's a cool story and yeah. of course they're going to paste it into the document and Tim's already put it there I'm like dang it <laughs> yeah and for me it's like when I'm walking between buildings uh at my campus um i'll maybe go from one building to another so i'm i'm on my phone taking a look at variety or entertainment weekly or you know whatever you know different uh magazines we have out there trying to see what some of the latest news is and you know trying to cut and paste that stuff and and quite honestly a lot of times i'll i'll see like kind of a headline for a story and let's say variety i'll cut and paste the link put it in the show notes i have no idea what's in there (laughs) and i won't find out until that night and i'll go ahead and look at it and say okay yeah this does seem pretty relevant or not and mark the best the biggest thing i can say is though is always cite your sources. Yes. Always give credit to the website that you found the article on, Mm -hmm. or especially if it's one of those websites that uh, quotes it from another site, go to the original site, go to the primary source, find the person who the story originally came from and read that version of it. Right. Because people have gotten in trouble not reading the original article. So that's my advice there. That's a great advice. That happens quite often. We always try to go right to the actual source and make sure we credit where credit is due. Oh, and one last thing about the cost. I'll just I'll just kind of be upfront here. I mean, it costs about $20 a month to host um, all the podcasts on the server uh, that you guys download. So that's 20 bucks a month that we spend. And um, then on top of it, you know, we do want to do a giveaway. You know, we're fans. We want to speak to the fans. We want to just kind of have this little community with the fans. And so we've been giving away, uh, we're about ready to give away our third giveaway here since we started the show. So um, that comes, you know, completely out of our pockets. So and don't forget about the initial investment in the equipment that you you, you have, Tim. Yeah, because your whole setup was a, a was an upfront cost investment. Right. It was about uh, altogether is about four hundred dollars in investment in the equipment. So yeah, it uh, we are well in the hole with this show. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we don't have any sponsors. We don't want commercials on the show. We don't, we're not going to do any of that. We, I don't think we'll ever do any of that. So, so anyway, we're doing it for the fans. So we're glad you're enjoying it. And we thank you for all the positive feedback you've given us as well. Cause that's what we're doing it for is really, that's, that's the best payment you can give us. Okay, Tim, this one's for you. All right. Oliver Holly. Okay. I want to ask what you think. Can you see DC comics, Warner brothers making a justice society movie? I would love it. I will say this to me, I would put a justice society. Society movie pretty much in the same category as Watchmen. It is 
it was something it's something that I would completely love and enjoy. I love the whole nostalgia of it, but it probably would not play super well to a general audience unless we began to establish kind of through time that there is a history to the DC universe cinematically. And if we do do that, then I could see a Justice Society movie. But uh, I don't see them doing one anytime soon. Um, as much as me as a fan would love to see it, uh, I am not the core audience that, you know, that Warner Brothers needs to produce a film like this. Yeah. Now, it's interesting. You want to go with the sort of the post-crisis legacy aspect mm -hmm. where I'm almost thinking more of like the Earth 2 aspect mm -hmm. of there are these versions of the characters that exist wholly independent of, say, our Justice League characters. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, and that's where I would like, I would say if they were going to make a Justice Society movie, I think you would need to establish a multiverse, which kind of what Flash is doing right now on the right. TV show. A, I think you need those characters to be somewhere else. Yeah. Um, I don't think you need those characters coexisting at the same time because then that's just way too many heroes. And I don't feel like that after seeing Man of Steel and what I think I'm going to see in Batman v Superman, I don't think it makes sense for there to be a history, a secret history of mass vigilantes, you know, yeah. hanging around in the 40s and the 50s. Yeah. I mean, when they when they did it on Smallville, it just came out of nowhere. It's like, really? that It was a great two-part episode, but part of you wanted to go, and why have we never heard about any of these people? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, let's remember here, cinematically here, we're going to see maybe four to six hours of film a year for the DC Cinematic Universe or DC Extended Universe. And that is not enough time for you to hardly establish the primary characters. You know, let's say just the seven for the Justice League. You know, that's hardly enough time to really establish them. We don't really need the muddied waters up at this point and start establishing uh, that there were past characters or an alternative universe set of characters. Like I said, as much as I'd, I, I would appreciate it, it to me would be it would probably muddy the waters a little bit too much for the general audience. Okay, Lovin' Comics asks, what are your favorite comic books today and of all time, and what are your favorite movies? Now, I'm Ooh. assuming he's asking about comic book-related movies. I'm oh, not, I was going to uh, answer <laughs> I was gonna answer other movies, but oh, okay. let's, well, let's then, go for it. Just go for let's it. Let's go for it. Yeah. I mean, honestly. Okay, favorite comic books today and then of all time. Okay, okay. I'm going to hit today, because as I was reading my comic books from June, I realized <laughs> there were some comic books I was actually caught up on. Um, um, Scott Snyder's Batman. Right. That's love my it. answer as well. Uh, Scott Snyder's Batman. Uh, I also am in love with Jeff Johns' Justice League. Yep. Uh, I am in love with the current run of Batgirl uh, by Cameron Stewart, Brandon mm -hmm. Fletcher, and Babs Tarr. Uh, that's just fun. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and I know these are just my DC books. I'm not sure if you want me to go into my non-DC books uh, list, but if I'm sticking with just my DC books right now, Batgirl, Batman, and Justice League and I am enjoying um, and I have and since the New 52 started I've really enjoyed The Flash yeah those are the books that like other things I get five months behind on those are the books that I try to stay as current as possible on yeah, so very similar answers for me. Uh, Scott Senator's Batman, uh, Justice League as well. Uh, I think that's phenomenal. Um, I would also throw in Grayson as well. Oh, and, yes. I, yep. I, yes, I'm caught up on Grayson too. Yeah, yes. and, and not just because I named my son Grayson. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, so I, those are really 
the ones today. Now, for me of all time, uh, boy, I, I got to tell you, my favorite series of books um, from DC, probably of all time, uh, let me list Let me list three. Identity Crisis. I absolutely adored and loved that whole series. Um, the second one is The Great Darkness Saga, and that's a, that's a Legion of Superheroes uh, series that came out. Oh my gosh, when was this? Back in... 84. 84, right? Yeah, back in 84. Um, to this day, every time I still read it, I just absolutely love it. Um, Watchmen, of course. And um, I think I would also throw in um, the series 52. Uh, oh, I just got that omnibus for Christmas. I can't. I haven't read it yet. I oh, can't it's, wait to read it. It's phenomenal. It. It's phenomenal. I mean, you took... Um, it was Jeff Johns, Greg Rucka... Um, Mark Wade, Grant Morrison. Grant Morrison. And basically the four of them, on a writing standpoint, they just basically sat in a room and hammered out all the plot details for the entire series. And they each individually wrote a certain part of it, and it flowed together so perfectly. And they took they took some of the most minor characters in the DC universe and made this extremely compelling uh, story that went on for 52 weeks. I, I there is there's not too many books that I ever remember where I just absolutely couldn't wait to get the next book. And uh, it, like it was a week to week thing for me. Like I was rushing to the store to go get the book. And so I would list those four. Okay, uh, for me, favorite books of all time. Um, Dark Knight Returns is definitely up there for me. Uh, trying to think what else. Um, I gotta be honest, when I was growing up, I read a lot of Marvel. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of like Chris Claremont, Jim Lee, X-Men yeah. for me that's uh, a big deal. Oh, I read that and, stuff too, though. I mean, I I really enjoyed X-Men. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Spider-Man. I mean, I grew up basically reading Spider-Man, X-Men, and Batman. Mm-hmm. Those, were, those were my books. And so if we're talking all time, yeah. Yeah, it, we're, we're talking 90s era Spider-Man, 90s era X-Men, and a whole hodgepodge of Batman that I was reading random stuff all around. So I was going to comic book stores and picking up stuff. So I have no real continuity for the Batman stories I was reading because mm-hmm. I was just kind of bouncing around yeah. everywhere. Oh, but I will say uh, Jeff Loeb's run on Superman, Batman, mm-hmm. uh, Public Enemies, Supergirl, those first four arcs, which lasted about 20-something issues. To this day, Jeff Loeb wrote what I consider to be the ultimate way you write a team-up book between Superman and Batman. Right. That's a, that is a watermark That was me. a great run, yep. So that that's my answer to that. Yeah. Uh, favorite movies, Tim, you go ahead. Oh, well, my favorite movie DC-related is Batman Begins. Uh, to me, I think that was the best of the trilogy. Uh, and don't get me wrong, Dark Knight was a very, very, very close second. But to me, the origin story with Batman, uh, that one edged out Dark Knight to me. Um, so Batman Begins, uh, favorite movie of all time is actually a Hitchcock movie, Rear Window. And if you haven't Ooh. seen it, that's a great Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart. Stewart. Yeah, yes. yeah, that's a great movie. Oh, How about okay. you, Scott? Uh, for me, uh, comic book movie, ooh, it's really hard because for different reasons, it's kind of Dark Knight and 1989 Batman. Okay. Because Dark Knight is, you know, as an adult and 89 Batman is as a child because I saw that in movie theater when I was seven. Uh, So, you know, it's, Two different Batman for two different eras of my life. Uh, non-comic book related movie. Uh, oh, where where to begin with that question? But <laughs> I, I kind of go to like The Godfather. Yeah. Love <laughs> me. The, I love me The Godfather. And I have a very special memory with my late brother-in-law uh, when he started dating my sister. Uh, that was how we first met. He came over to the house. I was home from college at the time. And I 
I, it just come out on DVD. And he came in and we sat down and we watched it. And there was that scene where Sonny beats up the guy who's beating up his sister. And I just kind of looked at the guy because yeah. he's dating my sister. And I just kind of went, just so you know. <laughs> and, you know, it, and he's passed, unfortunately, since mm. then. But uh, that that just kind of, I, when I see The Godfather, I always think of my brother-in-law. Wow. Yeah, great movie. Um, well, anyway, let's go ahead and move on. Um, so we actually have a question here from P-Dub. And P-Dub asks, when are you guys going to spread out to Facebook and Instagram? <laughs> so kind of uh, Instagram, going, never. <laughs> <laughs> well, going back to our earlier conversation, I mean, I would love that we would could have a presence on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I will say this. I did pull out a page on Facebook for the show, but I have almost zero time to manage it. So we'll see. Uh, you know, who knows? Maybe there's somebody out there that wants to be an admin for the show. We can definitely talk and, you know, maybe we could do something like that. But uh, I, I just do not have the bandwidth to really spread out beyond uh, the show right now. So probably not going to happen anytime soon. And I pretty much manage the show's Twitter feed right, for the most does. part. Yep. So it's one of those things where it's like I, I'm busy enough just, you know, whenever, you know, and the tweets are r- random and catches catch can. So, you know, yeah. that's what that's that's when I have the time to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so that's basically the answer. And, and that goes to like, um, I don't know, Tumblr or whatever all the other ones are out there right now. Not going to be anytime soon. I don't even know what those things are. I don't even know what those things are. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Move us on. Uh, G Money asks, what do you guys think of the Joker is Dick Grayson theory? I ran into this video explaining the theory. They make a lot of sense. I think you guys will find it interesting. Mm-hmm. And G Money, I've heard this theory. And the problem is whenever I hear this theory, all I can think of is spoiler alert for a comic that's like 10 years old now. Mm-hmm. Okay, spoilers. That's, that's your warning. <laughs> Uh, that just sounds like Dark Knight Strikes again to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's because I don't buy it. It's also because I don't want it. Yeah. It's not something It's not something that I want, so I don't really give it a lot of attention. Yeah. Um, I, I've, you know, I've, of course, heard of theory as well, and I did watch the video that you sent us, G-Money. And, um, I, you know, I got to say, I, I don't find the evidence compelling at all. For one, I think it would be, quite honestly, I think it would be a mistake if DC tried to actually do this. If they actually, basically took the core of who Joker is, which is a mystery, and kind of took that all away. I think that would be a mistake. And I don't like the idea of Joker being Dick Grayson or Jason Todd, for that matter, whoever you know the theory of the week is. I think I think Joker has to be Joker. And I think the much better use of Dick Grayson would be as a hero that would someday take the mantle of Batman. Or Jason Todd, who, you know, could become the Red Hood. I mean, to, to me, that's a phenomenal story. And, and I totally expect to see uh, the Batman story going that way cinematically. So I, I don't buy into it. I know there's a lot of people that really kind of believe it and kind of buy into the real subtle kind of like uh, clues that are put out there. But I mean, I also saw uh, a video of Jar Jar Binks being the one that kind of led up to um, the Empire kind of taking over as well. So I mean, you can kind of spin things certain ways. <laughs> so, But he did, Tim. I know he, he did. did. Yes, we'll, we'll have to debate that another time. But at any rate, uh, I wouldn't put too much weight into it. I, I don't expect it to happen. So I don't think it's true. So um, Jason Logan. Now, Jason sent us a ton of just great comments here, and uh, I'd love to read them off. I don't think we'll do it in this episode, but he had a lot of great things to say about the show, 
But first of all, Jason, thank you for that. Uh, but we want to get right to your question here. It says, what's behind all of the online hate for everything DCEU? Oh, great question. Now, I mean, yes. <laughs> Should we just stop right there? <laughs> that is the question. That is the question. Uh, that is the question. But he did go on to say, and, I, and, and I, I do want you to read the rest of what he says before we get to the question. Yeah, he says, he says, I know I'm being hyperbolic, but it seems every time WB or DC releases any official news, images, or videos about their upcoming movie slate, it sets off a metric tonnage of internet bile and snark that comes across as how dare they do anything with these characters outside of merchandise licensing. Even the stuff that's generally well-liked, such as the TV shows and animated movies, is also qualified instead of praised, and woe betide if a show like Gotham or Supergirl has growing pains because then it's used as proof positive the material can't be translated from the books. Where do we begin on this? I... I, I, Jason, I want to. I, I don't know the answer to your question because that's kind of the reason we started this show was yeah. because we didn't get it either. Yes. I, I don't. I feel like there's a lot of people out there who are Marvel zombies. I'm mm-hmm. gonna, I'm gonna go out and say it right now. It's a conspiracy <laughs> from, uh, from people who uh, saw the Marvel movies, which are fun. I, I feel like we have to always say, guys, we love, Mar- we love yes. the Marvel stuff too. It's, it's. I, I I'm there with you. Uh, but why they think that Marvel did it this way, so DC has to do it the same way, mm-hmm. I don't understand. Yeah. So DC's doing something different. DC's going a little darker. You know, the whole joke we have about the dark and gritty. Well, yeah, that's what they're deciding to do. Mm-hmm. That's their decision. Suck it up, and you're not the one being paid to make the decisions. Yeah. I don't get the hate. Yeah. But he's right. But he's right. Every time DC does anything, anything, yeah. anything, comics, TV. It's like I said, I don't read comic sec- comment sections anymore mm-hmm. because there's just this bile and it's like, what's up? Yeah. Yeah. I, so I was uh, at one point in time, I was going to write an article and submit it to um, some sites and all that. And it was basically going to be trying to dig into trying to find out exactly what was behind um, all the negativity from uh, reviewers on Man of Steel. And so what I did is I did a sampling of 100 different reviews that were negative. And from Rotten Tomatoes. And I started reading through all of them. And I went to basically categorize, okay, what exactly is it that's driving this this critic to, you know, rate this movie negatively? And uh, after a little while, it became real evident that there were a couple uh, distinct patterns that were popping out. One of them was there was a constant comparison back to Christopher Reeve with Superman. And that was the problem that stood out more than anything else is the people that viewed this movie negatively they already have their preconceived notion about what Superman is as defined by them in the previous Superman movies. And when this new movie came out, which was a, a much more realistic interpretation and really much more uh, contemporary and more in line with the comics version, it just seemed like a lot of these reviewers could not handle it. They couldn't process that this is somebody different. They were expecting to see this like little fumbling, bumbling Clark Kent. And they were expecting to see the little Boy Scout Superman uh, that they that they loved. And we all loved from the Superman movies, you know, back in the 70s, the late 70s. And uh, that was actually what stood out the most. <laughs> so it was t- it was so frustrating to me 
because that they weren't judging the movie on its own. They were making a comparison. And what gets me is that my dad, who is 60, who grew up where that was the Superman as he was. I mean, no, he was what, 20? He was probably in his 20s or in his 20s when that movie came out. Mm -hmm. The very reason that he loved Man of Steel, my 60 year old father, and the reason that I love Man of Steel was that it wasn't a Christopher Reeve movie. Mm -hmm. That's where Superman Returns went wrong. Right. They tried to make another Christopher Reeve Superman movie and people complained about that. Yeah. But then when they go and make the Man of Steel and they go as far away from a Christopher Reeve Superman movie as you can go, then they complain about that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, this goes back to, I think it's just DC. It's not even DCEU hate. It's DC hate. Mm -hmm. I don't understand what do you want? Because when they give you the Christopher Reeve movie, Redux, Mm -hmm. it doesn't do well and you don't like it. When they give you something that is completely not a Christopher Reeve Superman movie, you complain how it's not enough Christopher Reeve. Well, you can't have it both ways. Mm -hmm. What is your problem? And my problem with those people is that, well, then we can't even have a conversation because the very reason you dislike the movie is the very reason I like it. So there's no arguing. There's no debating. There's just, I'm going to leave you alone Mm -hmm. because the very reason you hate it is the reason I like it. Yeah. Well, and here's the other thing too. Now, let's remember, now DC's been doing this much longer on the big screen than Marvel has. Now, let's look at how many different interpretations of Superman on the on the big screen have we had. Well, we, let's kind of go way back. I mean, we had the serials. Kirk Allen. Yeah, Kirk Allen in the serials in, what, 19? George Reeves. Yeah, George Reeves, yep. Then you had, uh, obviously, Christopher Reeves. Chris Reeves. And then we had Brandon Routh. We had uh, Tom Welling on Smallville. We had Dean Cain on Lois and Clark. Lois and Clark, right. Um, and we had Superboy, the show from, like, which I had never seen like the 80s or 90s or something like that late 80s like because there was a super there was one actor who played him for season one and then there was another actor who played him uh jared jared clark who played him mm-hmm. in seasons two three and four right and let's be honest most of those interpretations are all kind of the same really and so you've got a long long history that most people you know they that's their definition of who superman is and so that plays a big part when you have iron man come on the scene i mean how many people have seen iron man on the big screen i mean has he ever been on the big screen at all? No, and not, not nothing. until n- nothing. Right. No. So, so people's first impression of it is, you know, they get Iron Man defined who he is in the very first film. And Iron Man was a good film. But when they show Man of Steel, there's all these previous interpretations that are being considered. And so that's kind of like an unfair thing to DC. And I think that has a lot that kind of plays into it. You know, everybody's got their favorite Batman. I mean, so Batman's a great example. There are people that absolutely love you know, the sixties TV show there. And that's their Batman because that's who are there. That's who they, you know, that's who became their Batman when they were a kid, maybe. And when the 1989 Batman came out, there was a ton of criticism because that was not the Batman that everyone thought they knew, you know, the, the general audience who didn't read comics, you know, they knew Batman to be Batman TV show. And so this was like a much more serious take. And in the comic purists, you know, they definitely liked it a lot more because it was a, it was a lot more what they wanted to see. But then the general audience, they were like, well, that's not exactly what they were looking for. So there was unfair comparisons made at that point. The, but then you had a, a group of people that absolutely loved the 1989 Batman. And then when Christian Bale's Batman came out, there were a lot of people that said, oh, you know, it doesn't compare to the Michael Keaton. Well, I, they won over a lot of people, obviously, with the film. And then the whole thing with Ben Affleck being cast, the same thing again. 
again. There's all these fan bases that have the Batman that they loved and grew up with that they automatically can write off a film just because of that. And we've certainly seen that with all the hatred that Ben Affleck got. So, And then for me, it's Kevin Conroy. Well, Kevin Conroy, exactly. So I, think, I mean, 20 years this man has been the voice of Batman. He is still the voice. I mean, and let's, let me be <laughs> frank. Every time I read a Batman comic, it's still Kevin Conroy's voice I hear in my head. Right. Uh, let's just be, I mean, because that was, I mean, I was 10 when that series came on. So for me, I mean, that's the one that really, I mean, I saw the Michael Keaton one one oh seven, but it was the Kevin Conroy version that really struck a chord. And it's, and that's what it is. It's like, what was the version that struck a chord right. when you were at your most impressionable? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's a, that's the great advantage that Marvel has is they don't really necessarily have that other than say Spider-Man. Um, but that's not a Marvel cinematic universe character, at least not, a, you know, not wholeheartedly. Um, so they've kind of got that advantage when they introduce a Thor or a Captain America or Iron Man, you know, for the most part, they have not had anything on the big screen. And so they are able to really kind of build their audience from there. And, and DC is always going to be fighting against that because they have lots of interpretations of their main characters. Um, you know, there's going to be comparisons of uh, Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman to Linda Carter's Wonder Woman, because there's going to be a certain fan base out there that wants to see her spin around and, and, and change from her clothes into a costume. And then you're going to have the ones who compare her to Susan Eisenberg, Susan Eisenberg who, was the, yep. who was the voice in the Justice League cartoon. Yep. You know, the fact is, is that DC Comics has been around for um, for uh, at least 30 years more than Marvel has. For most of the and characters, yeah. For most of the characters. I mean, most of their characters in the last two to three years are all celebrating their 75th anniversaries. Mm-hmm. And most Marvel characters have only been around for the last... 50 years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, DC's just got a lot more history there, but a lot of fans are treating it as baggage instead of a rich history from which we're allowed to pluck whatever we want to use. Mm -hmm. So maybe to kind of summarize my thoughts on this, I think it has a lot to do with so many different variations that people attach themselves to for all these characters. And, And, you know, Marvel is in such a great position that they don't have to have that or deal with that. So I think that's one of the things. Um, the, And the second thing is, I mean, you know, quite honestly, you know, Marvel has been doing it for quite a while. And so they've really kind of established kind of a strong superhero um, type of genre, I guess, uh, with their films. And so there's a certain expectation that's got to be that. But you don't want the DC films to be the same as as the Marvel films, because we're going to burn out this genre real quick if they all are cookie cutter copies of Marvel. And here's another thing. And this is a criticism. I mean, I don't after Secret Wars, the, the main miniseries finishes up. I'm done reading Marvel comics. Mm-hmm. I, I am because they also they have allowed their movies to so heavily influence their comics that they are making retcons, in my opinion, that I just mm-hmm. don't agree with because they're trying to make their comics align more with their movies. Yeah. And DC really hasn't done that. DC has let the comic books be the comic books and let the movies be the movies yeah. for the most part. And so, you know, once again, do you consider that a good thing or a bad thing? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know. I prefer my comic books not to be dictated by my movies. Yeah, That's my opinion. Yeah, so Jason, uh, so thank you for that question. I'd love to hear what the rest of the listeners think on this. You know, send us some notes, send us some tweets. You know, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this as well. But I mean, that's kind of like our gathered thoughts. And when we try to figure out where all this little hatred is coming from, but uh, you are not going to get that from this podcast. We, you know, 
we love DC. We find all the great things that we love about um, all the different DC shows. And, you know, we're just going to put out a lot of positivity. And that's what we do. So, hey, we can even say positive things about the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie. I yeah, mean, where right. else do you go for that? <laughs> that's right. So, all right. Let's move on. Um, oh, oh, Shannon's back. Yes. Oh, Tim. <laughs> Shannon's back. Shannon uh, sent us an email, and uh, I'm not going to say any last names, uh, especially of any female listeners. Uh, Shannon says, my question is, what can DC Comics do better to increase the number of readers of their comics? Oh, boy, where to begin? Um, Okay, I've got a lot to say about this. Um, Let me just kind of start off, give you guys a little bit of history. I've got probably 90 to 95 percent of everything DC has published since 1980 up until the new 52. To in print, and that includes Vertigo as well. Uh, I was an avid collector for the longest time. I eventually got to a point when New 52 came off. Um, a lot of people kind of talk about it was a jumping on point or a jumping off point. It was a jumping off point for me in terms of print editions because I simply just ran out of space. I could not keep this stuff anymore. And in fact, I'm starting to trim down my collection. But uh, I have been a reader for a long, long time, and I was able to collect as much as I did because of the great discounts that you can get when you would buy in bulk. Um, when I would go to the very various different subscription services, I could I could basically get um, about 40% off of the cover price of everything. So economically speaking, it was it was viable for me to go ahead and pick up everything. And that's just what I did. Um, when I went to go all digital, uh, I actually learned to really love the digital side, Comixology. And I love the portability of it. I love how I can access the comics wherever I'm at. Um, I, I, could, I could easily read them, you know, as I'm falling asleep in bed, I can I could pull out my iPad and I can read a comic. And it's to me, it's great. Um, and I am 100% all digital right now. I will say this. I can't get the discounts I used to get in that I used to get and buy in the print edition. And to me, this has actually led me to not collecting all the different DC titles anymore. I've cut down considerably the number of DC titles that I used to collect simply because it's just too cost prohibitive. And to me, what I think DC could do to increase the number of readers, well, I think you need for one thing, um, I think you need to not make the same mistake that you made with when we went to uh, direct market comic book stores uh, for comics. When you did that, you you shut out a ton of audience out there. Now, you've actually got a digital medium right now where anybody in the world can access it and purchase comics. And the price point is just too high. It just really is. I can't I can't justify paying four bucks or five bucks for a big title uh, every month just for something that I read in 20 minutes. And, uh, you know, I can read it multiple times, but it's just too much for something that's not physical. And to me, I think I think DC and all the other companies are missing a huge opportunity here. I think they need to reduce the price point quite a bit on the comics and make a lot more people able to come in and, and actually enjoy the comics. Now, I know they need to earn the money to pay for or, you know the writers and the artists and the colors and all the other people that go into making a great comic books. And to me, since, since comic books are such a big part of what we see on TV right now and in the movies, I feel like they need to subsidize the comics, which are really just the idea generation engine for the TV and movies, they really need to subsidize, you know, the money that they make from from those two mediums and actually subsidize um, and help pay for the creators of the comics and then get it down to a price point where you it's very easy for new readers to come in. Uh, I would love to see comics to be a dollar. If if the comics were a dollar, I would buy every single DC comic book again and I would be fully invested in the DC universe uh, a lot more than what I am right now. So that's kind of like my opinion on this. See, but I, but okay, I'm going to step back and be Mr. Practical here. Mm -hmm. That can't, that 
it's a business. Mm-hmm. They can't do that. One thing is, is that the quality of paper that they use and the technology that they use. And I mean, the, just the way you make a comic these days is a more expensive uh, proposition than it used to be. No, I'm not talking the, about print comics. Well, I'm talking. Well, I'm talking about print comics. And, you know, when it comes to digital, I mean, that's when you're dealing with the fact and creators are having to deal with this problem right now about whether they're going to get screwed out of money from digital comic sales. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's a whole creator's right issue that if you're trying to chop the price of a digital comic, you, I mean, that is unfortunately where you're kind of talking about pulling money out of the pockets of the creators of the comics. But I'm not talking about pulling money out of their pockets. What I'm talking about is is subsidizing it. You know, the licensing of these characters and the stories that they create um, are inspiration for TV shows and movies. And, you know, the the money that gets uh, profited from those ventures, you know, needs to go back and subsidize what, you know, what I said. But who who gets that money? You know, it's like, do you, I mean, if the Arrow show brings in so much money, does the Arrow money go to everybody? Or does the Arrow, I mean, see, that's the question. It's like, who gets the money? But you don't distribute it. You don't distribute it Arrow money to the Arrow comics. You just, you take the money and you pay all the writers for all the comics and all the artists for all the comics their same fair rate, regardless of what what they're making or what they're producing. Yeah, I just because comics are for the most part a work for hire. You're you're getting a one time payment. Sometimes you're getting a one time payment for what you turn in, Mm -hmm. with maybe depending on if you would negotiate a certain deal for maybe some royalties. I mean, the problem is that and not every writer gets the same deal. Mm -hmm. It's it the business side because I remember when the the new contracts for DC came out when they started paying colorist more mm-hmm. and when colorist started appearing on the cover credits right I mean I was reading all in that information and just you know a lot of those guys aren't getting any royalties they're just getting the one time yeah. did it it's a page rate you're done you know see you later kind of thing and even that kind of gets dependent on is this even a successful title or not because mm-hmm. you know you gotta think about you know going back to Shan's question about what DC because I feel like we've kind of gone on a tangent mm-hmm. that I I I know what you're saying. I agree that it's ridiculous to me that a digital comic costs the exact same price as a print comic, unless you're someone who can wait and the and the price does steadily drop as the comic becomes older. Mm-hmm. But if you want to get the comic the same day as the print comic comes out, no, you're paying, I mean, right now you're paying the same price as the print comic, but if you wait like two or three weeks, the price does steadily drop mm-hmm. as it becomes an older comic. That I understand. Mm-hmm. And so what you're kind of dealing with is you're kind of getting like, you know, you may get some delayed reading where people are waiting till it drops in price and then they pick it up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just think I think it goes back to the single issue is just too cost prohibitive. I mean, like, for example, I can I can get I can download an arrow show from iTunes for two dollars. So I can do that weekly. I can spend two bucks and get, you know, a one hour show or a 42 minute show. Uh, I have to pay four bucks or five bucks for a digital copy of a comic. And it's just to me, it's like the entertainment. My entertainment money is going now more towards something where I can get more for 
my money than what I what I used to be able to get. And so this is a real phenomenon. I think I think there's a lot more people in the same boat. Well, I want to I want to go back to something you said earlier, uh, because uh, I want to get my chance to kind of, you know, give my thoughts on this, because I'm one of those people when you talk about how the new 52 is either jumping off or jumping on point for people. Mm -hmm. The new 52 was a jumping on point for me. Mm -hmm. I had not been collecting since probably the mid 90s. I would say I, I have a very distinct period in mind when I stopped collecting comics. Mm -hmm. I've always read trades and stuff, but I stopped collecting about the time that Marvel did the Onslaught arc with X-Men, and they did the uh, death of Ben Riley and the return of Norman Osborn and Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. Once those two arcs finished in about 95, 96, I stopped collecting comics. One, it became harder to find, and I want to go back to your point. I grew up at a time in the early 90s where a drugstore, a grocery store, and a Walmart carried comics. Mm -hmm. I still remember seeing the Death of Superman arc in Walmart, and that's how I kind of followed it. Like, I was picking up all the, you know, it was in Justice League, it was in Superman, it was in The Adventures of Superman. But, you know, I would go to my grocery store, and that's where I would buy the comics. They were mixed in with the magazines mm -hmm. on the magazine aisle. And when those started to disappear, it started becoming a lot harder. But right about then, about the mid-90s, I think it's about when the bubble burst on comics, when, when everyone talks about the, the, the 90s bubble, I stopped seeing them, thus I stopped buying them. Mm -hmm. And then it took about 20 years to find a comic book store. And here's another thing, comic book stores that are inviting, where you don't walk into a comic book store and you feel like an outsider if you're not a regular customer or you haven't read every book since 1970. So, and that's, an, and that's not even what DC can do. That's just what the industry mm -hmm. can do. But the new 52, I made a, I made a concerted effort to start collecting with the new 52 because I realized that even as I tried to read trades, I had no flipping clue what was going on. The mm -hmm. continuity had gotten so deep. So I felt like the new 52 was a good move in my opinion because it benefited me. I got back into collecting. And now I literally buy every DC comic released weekly, mm -hmm. every week. I, I own it all. Now, as I admitted to you starting off at the beginning of this episode, I know I haven't read them since like June. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very backlogged, but I still bought. I mean, so every book that DC and a lot of what Vertigo puts out, I buy yeah. every week, even if I don't read it that week, even if it's six months later, I have still bought it and I will get to it. Yeah. And so for me, it helped bring me in. And I found a comic book store where I'm treated like an individual and that I feel valued and I, and creates a community. Mm -hmm. But what DC specifically can do, I feel like it's something that DC has started to do, which is more um, diversity in their comics. And when I use the word diversity, I mean as in the type of comic. Mm -hmm. Where it's not all dark and serious, where you get something like Batgirl. Mm -hmm. That's just fun mm -hmm. to read. Or you get something like Batman 66, which is just silly. Mm -hmm. Or 
or you get something like the Bizarro Mini, which, you know, when Liam is uh, seven or eight, I could hand him that. And I think for me, the biggest thing is there's not a diversity enough in different kinds of comics for different kinds of readers and an age diversity where so many of the comic books now are all PG-13 movies, basically. Mm -hmm. There's no comic that I can point a kid to that I can just go, oh, yeah, you read this. Mm -hmm. This can get you hooked. This is safe. Once the Comic Code Authority went away, and I'm not lamenting the the (laughs) destruction of the Comic Code Authority, but once that went away, comics weren't something that I could automatically just hand to a kid. There is a there's a lot of I kind of have to dig through it and see, is this something that I'm willing to share or is this something that's for me as a 30 something Mm -hmm. that it's appropriate for me to watch? And I feel like you just need more titles for a wider range. Now, of course, what typically happens is that people don't buy those wider ranges. And so those books get canceled and then you're still left with your core books. Mm -hmm. So, Shannon, I know know that you talked about how you have a you have a son who you you talked about how you're glad you can start a podcast with him in the car. And I guess my question is to you is, do you have that same problem? Mm -hmm. Do you not have comics that you feel like that someone from a younger age can get hooked and then carry them into being older? And I think that's what DC needs to do. They need to be able to hook a younger audience to make them a faithful reader. Yeah. Uh, And that's kind of my soapbox there. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. So I mean, we're we're coming at it from two different angles. To me, I come at it from the financial side. Um, You know, I literally can it would cost me it would cost me about 50 percent more to purchase the same books that I used to purchase when it was just print just because the discounts aren't there Uh, unless I wait like, you know, uh, three months and then I can, you know, cut a buck off the cost. But to me, that's that's like a missed opportunity. That's that's really kind of boxing themselves out again uh, like they did when they went to uh, direct to market. Uh, So anyway, long answer to that question, Shannon, Uh, hopefully um, give you some kind of answers here, I guess, uh, where our thoughts are on that. Okay, Tim Brickman, if you were the final decision maker, would you merge the DC movie and TV universes like Marvel or keep them as is? Obviously, both methods have pros and cons, but what would you do? Yeah, I mean, I would not merge them. Um, no, we no. said this before. Yeah, it's it, it all goes down to what gives us the best opportunity to get a good story uh, for the TV uh, universe or for the cinematic universe. And the best opportunity is to not handcuff them. And so keep them separate. It's absolutely the right thing to do. And the same thing like you were just mentioning about Marvel comics, uh, tying themselves into the movies. Well, that that's handcuffing them. And uh, I don't want to see the comics tied into the movies other than, you know, maybe some select digital first things like Arrow or Flash uh, or the upcoming Supergirl comic. Those tying into the TV shows, I think is great. It's as long as it's just those which are not part of the normal, let's say, DC universe in the comics world. Um, keep them all separate. I think that gives everybody the best flexibility to tell their story. And we are DC fans. We should understand the idea of a multiverse. Right. Yes, exactly. So, oh, moving on. Solomon Grundy. Um, born on a Monday. Uh, probably born on a Monday. That would be my guess. Man of Steel is a very polarizing movie with the amount of property destruction and the death of Zod. Do you think if either of these had not happened, but the other remained the same, that people would wouldn't feel so negative towards it. Um, and, and, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, I did this study where I was going through looking at it. Uh, it really kind of came back back to comparing to previous versions of Superman. And that was really the bigger problem. So I don't think taking one or the other out of this would have mattered so much. Uh, maybe it would have helped a little bit, but I don't know. I, I, you know, I think to me, um, when it came down to it, it seemed like people weren't ready for a very realistic approach of what would really happen if these gods descended down on Earth and, and and basically fought 
in a metropolitan area. And uh, so I don't know that that would have changed any a whole, whole lot there. And really, you know, a very mature a situation that Superman was put in where he had to make this terrible decision. You know, he felt like he had no choice but to end Zod's life. And, uh, you know, I, again, that kind of goes back to um, it kind of forced comparisons back to Christopher Reeve. So I guess my answer is I don't think it would have changed a whole lot. Hey, at least Henry Cavill Superman dealt with Zod while he was powered. Christopher Reeve knocked <laughs> Zod off of a cliff in the Fortress of Solitude yeah. after depowering him. So let's talk about who at least treated Zod a little <laughs> bit more respectfully. Yeah, let's not forget uh, Superman did kill Zod in the original movies. And yes, nobody ever talks after about being depowered. <laughs> yeah, and no less just pushing him off the cliff, like you said. <laughs> yes! <laughs> so anyway, so that I guess that would be my answer. Okay, Rob asks, the new Star Wars movie is full of homages and callbacks to the previous movies. Yes, it is. Yes. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, if any, callbacks, images, events, themes from the comic shows, animated movies, shows, previous movies, would you like to see in the upcoming DC movies? Wow. Wow, that's a... Yeah. So this is kind of funny. And part of this is going to kind of contradict uh, what I had said earlier. But uh, uh, the first one uh, is I would love to see that iconic image of Hal Jordan. Um, I think it was cover of issue number 49, maybe, of where he basically had all the different Green Lantern rings on all of his fingers. And he was basically just going crazy with power. Yeah, that was in the Emerald Twilight arc. Right. Yeah. I, I just love to me, that's like one of the greatest comic book covers of all time. And I would love to see some kind of homage to that. Um, the other one is, you know, the cover for Crisis on Infinite Earths number one, um, the whole thing where the you have all the different people in space that were kind of uh, all the different heroes from all the different Earths just kind of tumbling through space and the, the Earths being ripped apart or at least kind of merging together, however you want to look at it. Um, I, that image has always been classic to me. Like if they were to ever do a Crisis on Infinite Earths of some sort, which I'm, I'm suggesting they should not, if they did. I would want to see that image. <laughs> so, and then the other one too of like Superman, you know, holding uh, Supergirl, and it doesn't necessarily have to be Supergirl, but the image where you know she had given her life and died in Crisis on Infinite Earths, where Superman was holding her in his arms and just basically bawling, everyone standing around, not really knowing what to do or say. It was just such an iconic image. Um, something like that, I would love to see. If we're talking about purely images from the comics, see, I feel like I'm going to go ahead. And, my Christmas morning's coming early because Batman v Superman is so chock full of Dark Knight well, Returns. Yeah. I'm just I'm, I'm a kid at a candy store. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I feel like any kind of nod to the animated universe is going to make me happy. Like what we talked about earlier, where Harley Quinn's bat even has a quote from her first appearance in in the animated series. You know, that's the kind of stuff, because for me, the animated series is really where my love began. So anything that kind of calls back to that. Yeah. Uh, will tickle my fancy just fine. Well, we just saw we saw a little homage to it uh, on Harley. Harley Quinn's bat actually has the first line ever spoken by Harley Quinn in the animated series. So that's a little well, homage. It's not the first line. Uh, it's not the first? It's not the first. No. Okay. Okay. No. Well, you are the expert. Yeah. So. Um, and then he goes on to say, I'll admit, I don't know too much about Suicide Squad or have read any of the comics. Can you recommend any trades? I don't know if I'm really following this correctly, but it looks like there was a run before the New 52. Then the New 52 run. Didn't they scrap that and start it over again? Oh, okay. And I kind of actually, I kind of answered him a little bit on Twitter already about this this, but you talk about pre-New 52, and then I'll talk about the New 52. 
Yeah, let's do that. So pre-New 52, there were basically three different runs. There was the the first one, which was uh, John Astronder and uh, Luke McDonald, I think, was the artist. Yeah, Luke McDonald was pencils, yeah. Yeah, the artist on that, the pencils. And uh, they actually went on for 66 issues. And I think especially the beginning of that run is just phenomenal. That was the first appearance of the modern interpretation of the Suicide Squad, which is instead of like having people that were involved with the military during, like, say, World War II, it was actually people that were uh, just the, the criminals, the villains all thrown together and it created this whole idea of basically a dirty dozen of, with uh, super villains and and those are just great um, they're definitely dated if you go back and read them you got to kind of put yourself in a mindset that this was how comics were done back in the 80s Reagan's still president Reagan's still president <laughs> the Cold War and the Cold War still going on so right and you got a lot of the tropes that were typically used back in comics at that era but if you'd like to go back and reminisce I would highly suggest you go ahead and pick up those trades which are recently published so well they've re-released volume one Yep. They've just released Volume 2, and they've scheduled on Amazon releases of Volume 3 and Volume 4 in 2016. Mm-hmm. So I've actually been reading the first Ostrander trades called Trial by Fire this week for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. And so, Rob, I can say, pick up the Ostrander run. Yeah. You need to. I mean, it's just it's what you should do. It's what you should do. And they have Trial by Fire, which is Volume 1, and they have the Nightshade Odyssey, which is Volume 2. Yeah. I would say start there, and that'll give you classic Suicide Squad. Right. I will go ahead and warn you, they reference a miniseries that was called Legends that's mm-hmm. technically the first appearance of this villain Suicide Squad mm-hmm. uh, which the miniseries is having its 30th anniversary in 2016 and Amazon has a listing for a release of a new 30th anniversary trade of Legends so that you might want to read that too only because it'll fill in some gaps that the Suicide Squad series just assumes you've read yeah and it's it's not the greatest series in the world you could probably find on eBay for about five bucks. You can get the six issue miniseries, but but yeah, you can you can look for that because that actually had, I think, technically the very first appearance of Suicide Squad was in Legends. And it's technically the first appearance of Amanda Waller. Amanda Waller, yeah. So I would recommend anything. If you really want to get into Suicide Squad, dig that up. That is the classic version of the team. And it's actually, surprisingly, I think there's going to be a lot of things kind of pulled from it for this movie coming up. They had a, ver- like, volume two of Suicide Squad, which ran for a year, uh, 12 issues in 2001. And it was a whole different interpretation of the Suicide Squad and I would basically suggest you just skip that. <laughs> um, and then in 2007, they actually brought it in again for eight issues and that was actually quite good. It was kind of like reinvigorating the team again. But Scott, tell us about the New 52 version. Okay, well, New 52 version started with um, Adam Glass as the writer and anything Adam Glass wrote, I would recommend. He, mm-hmm. If you get the trades, I think at least the first three, maybe even four, Adam Glass wrote they were really good uh they especially established the new 52 origin of harley quinn which looks like they are using Mm -hmm. uh for the suicide squad film uh after adam glass left the book it took a little bit of a it took a bit of a dip i'm going to admit Mm -hmm. uh it then got tied in with forever evil and there were a couple of good issues sort of forever evil tie-ins for suicide squad but after that they canceled the book and then relaunched it with a new number one as new Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. And that one, I think, and I think that's what Rob was referring to, that they scrap it all over yeah. again. It's the same continuity. They just called it New Suicide Squad and renumbered it. Uh, and it, it takes place in a post-Forever Evil world. And then it's been okay. Sean Ryan's the writer on it. But they did recently announce that either Tom King or Tim Seeley, one of the guys from Grayson, mm-hmm. will be taking over the book in 2016. And I 
I am super excited about that because those got Grayson's great. One of those guys is writing the Omega Men right now, and that book is really interesting. So it, it, with any book, it just depends on who's writing it. Mm-hmm. So I would personally say, though, if you want to dig into the New 52, start with anything Adam Glass wrote at the beginning of the run. That's your strongest stuff right now. But then I would say pay attention to when Tim Seeley or Tom King, whichever one's doing it, takes over. Then I would just recommend, surely on the fact that they are great writers, to pick up the book then, too. And then Rob's last question was, what can DC and WB do to turn around the negative perception of the DC movies? Do the DC TV shows hurt or help? I know the short answer is putting out better movies, but DC Comics has always been seen as being less than Marvel, even though they have really good characters and put out really good stories. You can see from some of the reactions to the trailers that there is some unreasonable hate towards BVS and SS. I know you can't win everybody over, but I'm afraid that this vocal group can shape a negative perception towards the DCEU. And I feel like we kind of already talked about that. Um, I just think people, there are some people who are just going to be negative to be negative. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing you can do. I think the only thing that we can do is kind of like what Tim and I did. We started our own show to be a resoundingly positive, open-minded voice. Mm -hmm. And the only way that we can adjust negative perceptions is by putting up positive perceptions. Because I feel like it's the people who are negative who, like he says, are the most vocal. So they're the ones we're all hearing, even though I really don't think that that's a fair representation of the fan base. Right. And to the DC TV shows hurt or help, personally, I just think it can only help because they're they're, because they're good and they're putting out good content. I think DC needs as much goodwill, if only because it needs more people saying good things about DC, because like I said, DC has had a lot of negativity. And I don't know, to be honest, Tim, you'll have to answer this question for me. Did the New 52 just tick everybody off? Or was there negative perceptions even before the New 52? Because I jumped in on the New 52 and I was all in. Oh, I mean, it was it was a typical. You had a lot of the old timers that have been collecting a long time were resistant to kind of starting over and resistant to some of the new interpretations of the characters as well. But then you really genuinely had a lot of people jump in. The local comic shop here in town, BuyMeToys.com, uh, actually talked to the owner and he actually said that New 52 was such a big positive uplift for him for DC as well. And so it definitely was the right thing for the DC to do. And and he's talking not just beyond the initial, you know, hey, look at this new shiny thing. Let's take a look at it. He said long term, you know, they brought in a lot of readers that weren't reading comics uh, that really kind of jumped in because they had, you know, heard about it and it was advertised. And so the, I, th- I think it was a it was a big net positive. But maybe kind of getting back to the original question here, you know, do the DC TV shows hurt or help? I, I think they actually do help out quite a bit, you know, because of the DC TV shows now. People know who Green Arrow is um, that may not have watched Smallville. They know who Green Arrow is. They know who Black Canary is. They know who Amanda Waller is just on the Arrow show. Well, now we have all these different characters on The Flash. We've got Firestorm. We've got, well, we've got Adam. We've got all these other little characters that are someday going to make their appearance on the big screen and people will be able to go, hey, I know who that is. I know who that character is. And so in the end, it's going to help. But you're still always going to get these little comparisons. You're going to have a big faction of people that are going to be completely unhappy with who the DC Cinematic Universe has chosen to be their Flash. And there's a a lot of people that want and insist that Grant Gustin should be on the big screen. And uh, so you're you're always going to have a faction. Again, it goes back to our theory about why there's like uh, this backlash against DC. It it always goes back to comparisons. Okay. Uh, VG Base asks, aren't they flooding the marketplace with two DC movies every year, given so many DC shows already exist and counting? No, they're not flooding the market. (laughs) Two movies a year does not qualify as flooding the market, in my opinion. It's four to six hours 
hours of time. Right. And when you, you know, for instance, BVS is going to come out in March. Suicide Squad's going to come out in August. Uh, trust me, that seems like such a long time between March and August for me to go see a movie. I don't feel like I'm being oversaturated at that point. Yeah. And to me, it's it's not as much the genre getting saturated. I think the biggest danger is that the genre gets saturated with movies that are the same. So, you know, I like the fact that Marvel is doing what they're doing. They're trying to make their films a little bit different as they go further along here. You know, I, I think Doctor Strange is going to is going to be something distinctly different that we haven't seen. Suicide Squad is going to be something very different than what we've seen. Obviously, Deadpool jumping in. And then finally, you know, the rest of the DC extended universe is is going to be quite different than Marvel. I think it's a much more consequence based, realistic take on superheroes. And I'm glad that that's different than what Marvel's doing. You know, if I want to just go in and, and watch a fun superhero film and where there's a lot of little quips, things that all kind of like make me laugh during a fight scene, you know, I will go and pop in a Marvel film. But that's that's not really what I want from the DC. I, I love what DC is doing with consequences. And uh, so, yeah, it's not flooding the marketplace. All right. Moving on. Greg Katzman, friend of the show. He actually um, well, actually now a former co-host of DC Movies podcast. He actually sent us a couple questions here as well. And let's go ahead and read through this. He says, uh, I don't know about you two, but I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe having more compelling shows over on Netflix was a brilliant decision. I agree. Yep. Whether or not those characters will play any role on the big screen doesn't matter to me because they're getting 13 excellent episodes focused entirely on character development. And then there's the potential for more seasons. This allows both the hero and the villain to grow over the course of the whole story. And I'll take that over Save the World in just an hour and a half to two hours any day of the week. Okay, so maybe not Sunday. I could use some popcorn fun on Sundays. <laughs> Can't we all? So if we can cast aside the that's copying Marvel argument for a second, I'm wondering which four shows you'd like to see if DC and WB took the Marvel Netflix approach. If you want one show to be a team up, that's fine. All right. So I've got lots of different thoughts on this. And let me just rattle off a few here. Probably at the top of my list is I would like to see kind of in a, a Netflix type of setting, you know, where we get maybe 13 episodes. I would like to see the question. I thought the same thing. Yep. You stole my number one choice. <laughs> well, I, I was allowed to read the question, so I got to go first. <laughs> so yeah, I would like to see the question. I think the question would fit perfectly into that kind of a format. So I would love to see that happen. A couple others here. I mean, I'm, yeah, I got to throw in Constantine because <laughs> if I can get if I can get Matt Ryan back doing Constantine in a Netflix show, I would do it in a heartbeat. Um, there's a few others. I know you said which four, but I'm just yeah. He can't he can't limit himself, Greg. I'm sorry. I can't limit I see, myself. I, can, <laughs> I actually tried to limit my answer to just four, but no, not not Tim. No, no, not not Tim. I would love to see a World War II era Blackhawks show. And uh, for those of you know, um, Blackhawks was quite famously back in the 40s was like DC's when they actually bought it. I think from Quality Comics, but um, it was just a ragtag group of people that were thrown together from different nations that were basically fighting the evil Nazis. And uh, I would love to see something like that because I think there'd be a lot of really fun, compelling drama. Um, I think it'd be quite expensive. That would probably be the bigger problem. I'd love to see a Black Lightning show as well. Somewhat of a minor character in DC. And uh, and since since I'm being pressured by Scott, let me just throw just one more out there. Uh, I'd like to see something more in the mystical realm. Maybe something like Madame Xanadu. Okay, so I know you haven't seen Jessica Jones yet, Tim. Mm -hmm. Have you seen Daredevil? I've seen a couple episodes. Uh, see, here's my thing. I made my decisions based on the fact that I've seen what they produce. Mm -hmm. And when they did Jessica Jones, they they had to do a little cut, uh, creative editing.
editing and cutting when it came to superpowers. Mm -hmm. And so I thought about Daredevil and realized what worked really well with Daredevil. Martial arts and fighting and just really good character and dialogue. Mm -hmm. uh, Realizing that while I would love to see Constantine again, I don't feel like the budget for a Netflix series would be able to support it. Mm -hmm. So I looked at the question. Yes. I thought, and this goes back to our question earlier uh, from Chance, I think a Nightwing series would be great, especially ah. if you take the Chuck Dixon era where Dick Grayson was working as a beat cop for the Bloodhaven Police Department. Yeah. And so he was a cop by day and Nightwing by night. I think that would be very good, kind of in the line of what the Daredevil series was like. I think mm-hmm. the Daredevil series showed that that kind of format would work. Right. I like that. Um. So I said the question because I think that'd be a cool film noir private eye thing. Uh, Nightwing. Uh, Jonah Hex. Ooh. I think a down to earth, because I am going to ignore that <laughs> terrible. No, that's a terrible movie. That is a <laughs> terrible movie. I'm going to ignore that terrible movie, but if I could get a an old school Western with uh, Jonah Hex, uh, maybe someone like a Thomas Jane cast in the role, mm. um, that is uh, that would be a series I'd like to see, and I think Netflix would do really well with. And then for my fourth show, if I'm kind of keeping this idea that, you know, keeping it kind of smaller, because I feel like that's what the budget right. works best on, uh, I I don't know. I almost feel like that this would be the perfect opportunity to redo Birds of Prey and do it right. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that too, but I, I kind of held off on that because I, I think they DC probably is going to do that cinematically in, in the big screen. Oh, no, I, I agree. Yeah. But I'm saying that, but I'm saying what would work well as a TV show? Right. Like, give me 13 episodes. Give me a villain like Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin mm-hmm. or David Tennant's Purple Man that I almost wanted to watch the villain more than I wanted to watch the hero because it was just so well done. Yeah. Those are the ones I think that a Netflix series, because none of them really require a lot of visual effects or special effects and could work heavily on just good old fashion action and really good writing and really good character development yeah. over like a 13 episode season. Those are, Greg, those are my four. Yeah, I like those. I, I think those are great suggestions. Um, one, as we were, I was listening to you talk, I was kind of thinking, wouldn't it be great to have a Gotham Central? <laughs> Amen! Oh, Amen! Yeah. I mean, because let's be let's be honest, I mean, Gotham on Fox is not Gotham Central. It's not. And that's what it should be. And that's I'm what it should be. And, that's what it should be. And unfortunately, you know, I mean, we're not going to get that for a while. You know, Gotham's going to have to run its course. And then at some point in time, you know, they may resurrect it. And at that point, I hope to get like a true Gotham Central. And maybe that would be a great place to do it is on Netflix. Yes. Yes, sir. You have won. Yes. <laughs> Greg, Greg, con- make your contacts in the media. I want a Gotham Central Netflix series. That's right. That's what I want. And let them know that Scott and I are willing to partake in writing it. So <laughs> I don't have to. You got to add Brew Baker and Greg Rucka to do that for you. Yeah, that is true. Maybe we can get those guys back. So. All right. Um, so Greg goes on. Since we're talking about DC, I was wondering what your favorite comics are that would connect to each film. In case it's not clear enough, uh, he says it's early and this coffee is still kicking in. Know the feeling. Yes. What's your What's your favorite? 
favorite Batman and Superman story, favorite Suicide Squad story, favorite Wonder Woman story, so on and on and on. And for me, okay, I'll just kind of run through these real quick. For me, it's anything from George Perez, going back to his run from 1988 or 87. 87. Yeah, 1987. So I adore the Wonder Woman series that George Perez wrote and drew, and uh, I would go back to anything from there. For Suicide Squad, I just want to see the Batman Amanda Wall Amanda Waller confrontation, and that's what I want to see connected. <laughs> that right there, um, that confrontation, that classic confrontation. Actually, probably the best confrontation was actually in the animated series, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the bathroom scene. The bathroom scene. I want to see that right there. So I know it's not totally answering your question, Greg, but um, and then kind of moving on real quick, Batman Superman. My favorite story is really the one that kind of led Batman to become really the paranoid Batman, which was Identity Crisis. And so I would love to see that connected between the films. Okay, so for me, Wonder Woman. Um, I've never really read a Wonder Woman comic until the Brian Azzarello New 52 run, which was just fantastic. Mm -hmm. I loved Brian Azzarello's run. I loved his connection to the Greek mythology. And I feel like for Wonder Woman, the more you can tie her into the Greek mythology, the better story you get at least for me I that's the way yeah so I'm, I'm i'm talking brian azarello cliff uh the cliff chang run mm-hmm. uh suicide squad i'm gonna be honest i've only just started reading ostrander this week mm-hmm. so i don't have the history with the suicide squad to connect to a specific story greg like i said my first experience with suicide squad was the tax force x episode of just mm-hmm. league unlimited but that kind of oceans 11 heist movie feel is something that i enjoy mm-hmm. where really you don't get to see the big heroes or if you do it's like a cameo because you really are just focusing on the villain's point of view right uh batman superman if we're talking about a batman superman story where they're like the super friends where they're like actually <laughs> working together mm-hmm. i'm gonna go back to what i said earlier about jeff Loeb. yeah public in- that public enemies run mm-hmm. was fantastic yeah that that relationship of we love each other we respect each other but we can also annoy the crap out of each other yeah and you know his way of um running their dialogue boxes to where you hear what they're thinking about each other right. you know and and the and the dichotomy of what they're saying that really illustrates why Superman and Batman are two different characters right so I say public enemies Jeff Loeb yeah those are all good ones I, I think those are great ones so I'd love to hear what your thoughts were on that uh, Greg as well so send us a note lead us into Benny Quinn's question okay is Batman being too heavily focused on leading into Justice League and of Superman and who deserves a solo film more um do I think they're going a little Batman heavy. Yes, but I also think that's because Henry Cavill had a whole movie. Right. Um, Ben Affleck is being introduced in this movie. So, yes, he gets a little bit more time, possibly, Mm -hmm. uh, but only because we're being introduced to a completely new uh, interpretation of Batman. But at least we're not getting his origin. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm happy with that. This is a Batman who's been around for 20 years. Yeah. So I don't think it's too focused. And I also think that's just smart business. Batman's more popular right now. Yeah. So you want to lean on the, your money. You, you're leaning on your money maker. Yeah. I, I pretty much had exactly the same answer as well on that. So, um, yeah. And you said, you know, who deserves a solo film more? I mean, at this point, it's going to be Batman because Henry Cavill's already had his solo Superman film. So, and again, it goes back to, you know, who deserves it? Well, I mean, business wise, it's going to be Batman. <laughs> so, all right. And then lastly, um, before we get into what we're going to call the lightning round, uh, this is from Romeo. I love this question, Romeo. Romeo. Yeah. I'm so excited about this question. All right, Romeo. And uh, so it says here, is there a 
place for the definitive Catwoman, Selena Kyle, in the DCEU. Charlize Theron, uh, Carla Gugino. No, oh, oh, you no, you did not. Yes, I did. Uh, <laughs> Carla Guccino. Yeah. Oh, that's my pick, Romeo. I'm going ahead and telling you right now. Yeah, or Alexandra Daddario. DCU is proud of their women. I would love to see a great new true vision with my next favorite character, Batman's true love. Carla Guccino. Romeo, you have excellent taste. Mwah. Yes, that is who I would want for a Catwoman. Uh, at least at least of the three choices you've given me, that is inspired ca- fan casting, Romeo. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. Carla Gugino, it would be Stop definitely. it. Guccino. <laughs> She is too beautiful for yeah. you to butcher her name like that. Yeah, I know. I, 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 it's one of these things where you pronounce the name wrong, you know, and then it's like always stuck in your head for the longest time. But yeah, Caligocino, definitely. I would agree with that one as well. Um, and I like his question about the definitive Catwoman Selena Kyle because I do not feel like there has been any live action definitive Catwoman. Of course, I well, which like one? Com- which one's definitive though? That, but that was that was what I was getting to. Yeah, I don't even feel like the comics have ever really established a definitive Catwoman. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you have uh, do you have a definitive Catwoman, Tim? No, I don't. <laughs> I really don't. I mean, I, I probably the one that probably sticks in my mind the most, even though it's not my favorite story in the world, Dark Knight Returns. Um, I always that seems to be the be the one that I maybe would call my definitive, but there isn't really no definitive Catwoman. What do you mean? Uh, really? The the old the old Madam Selina Kyle? Uh, I'm sorry, not not I'm sorry. I said Dark Knight Returns. I meant uh, Year One. Year One. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't. I, that the problem is who is what is the definitive version of that character? But as far as casting is concerned, yeah, Carla Guccino, that's a fantastic idea. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully uh, hopefully that was your pick as well, because that would make three of us. All right, moving on. Now, we've got a bunch of other little questions here, and we, and we moved a bunch of these to something we call the lightning round. So we're going to run through these pretty quick and give fairly short answers, I think. We'll see. I don't know if Scott and I can do short answers or not. I can do short answers. It's Tim I th- I'm concerned about, folks. Okay. Um, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll tabulate how much time you spoke in this episode versus mine. <laughs> um, moving on. VJ based conservative estimate of BVS box office results. I'm going to say my conservative estimate is 1.2 billion. <laughs> no, uh, I, I don't really have a dollar amount. I think you'll make more than Man of Steel. Uh, I don't know if you'll make as much as the Avengers, you know, so mm. somewhere in that range. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this, I guess that's not really a conservative estimate. I mean, if I was going to be conservative, I would say, you know, 800 you know, million. But uh, I think we're probably about a 1.2 billion is what I'm guessing for this film. Uh, and the reason being is not only is it, you know, Batman v Superman, it's which is going to be highly anticipated, um, but we're also getting Wonder Woman. And I think that and the promise that we're leading into more films that are going to lead into the you know the DCEU. I think this may have one of these things that has a lot of rewatchability and I think it's in kind of the right time of year where you know I think we could get a lot of people that you know there's there's not a lot of other competition in that time and uh, I think you could get a lot of people that can go out and see this film multiple times so that's kind of my guess. Okay, Benny Quinn asks the most unoriginal question award. He asks what comic book got you into comics? Um, I'm going to be honest it wasn't the comic books it was TV shows and movies that got me into comics. I do, however, remember that my first comic book was a Marvel Transformers comic. Mm. How about you, Tim? Yeah, for me, uh, the the comics that got me into comics were some old old like uh, back issues that my mom had bought at some garage sale, and they were adventure comics, and they dealt with Legion of Superheroes, and I absolutely fell in love with that whole comic and that team, and uh, so that's really what got me interested in comics. I couldn't get enough of it, and uh, and I just you know, I sought it out from there and started discovering other titles. So Peter asks, he says, I was wondering. 
are there plans for YouTube or are you guys sticking with podcasts? Uh, we have faces that were born for radio, Peter. So no, no, yeah, we're, we're not doing YouTube. If you have any doubt about that, uh, we've tweeted out a picture of ourselves, uh, each wearing our little skull caps, the Batman and Superman skull caps that we got from DC World. Yeah. Uh, and, and actually, since we're not located in the same place, it, it would just be an awkward podcast as well or, or a, a YouTube po- a video cast as well. So yeah, we're going to be doing podcasts. Uh, we'd like to deliver a media that you can listen to in your car and not have to see our ugly faces. <laughs> so wah, wah, wah. David W. asks, what do you think about casting Matthew McConaughey as Metron? And to be honest with you, uh, I thought if you're going to cast Matthew McConaughey as one of the uh, new gods or apocalypse characters, I thought he'd be more of a Dassad than mm-hmm. a uh, than a Metron. But that's my, my opinion. Yeah, I mean, he's he's one of those. Uh, I remember we talked about this before at one time, and I don't know who I would necessarily pick. I mean, I would love to see him in the DCEU, but I'm actually I kind of struggle a little bit like where I would fit him. But uh, I could see him as Metron. I think that would be pretty cool. But it'd be it, I think it would vastly underutilize his talent, though. But uh, I agree. Yeah. But I mean, if you were going to tell me tomorrow that Matthew McConaughey was Metron, sure, I'll take it. Will Nevin says, do you expect any elements of Dark Knight Returns aside from the big fight to surface in BVS? And he says, will we see Carrie Kelly? I don't think we'll see Carrie Kelly. And other than that, I don't know that we're going to see too many other things other than some of the things like the little montage of the talking heads um, discussing, um, you know, Superman that we saw in the Batman v Superman trailer. We'll see things like that. But trying to think if there's anything else. I mean, we won't see mutants. We won't see, you know, all the different things that we saw. I don't know. I wonder if we'll see a discussion of his psychology, kind of like that almost split personality that Frank Miller gave Bruce when, you know, the Batman came back. Mm. Uh, I think that would be kind of cool if that was it. But I do expect it. No. Would I like to see it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see something like Joker show up on some talk show because that would be very typical of today's society that a very bad person is kind of thrust into celebrity and I'd love to see a little scene like that where he does something really awful <laughs> like he did to the audience David Letterman's office uh, I think it was David Letterman's audience it was David Letterman's audience yeah yes. he gassed them all <laughs> so I'd love to see something like that I don't know man maybe maybe a one-armed uh, green arrow <laughs> but uh, I don't think we'll see that either see VJ based is Green Lantern going to be introduced into Justice League I think he will be introduced in the film Justice League part one is my guess but I think there's an outside chance he may make a surprise appearance at this, the rumored closing montage of Batman v Superman. Okay, will they announce Justice League casting by mid-2016? I think they'd have to. They have to, they, yeah. They have to because they, they they need to be filming by mid-2016. Yeah, and just because they mention casting doesn't mean they tell you all the casting. I mean, there's still, there's still people that are pretty well rumored to be connected to Batman v Superman, but they've never officially announced. So we'll, I'm sure we'll see the same with Justice League as well. Will Justice League be delayed to 2018 given the history of delays of Zack Snyder movies it's not going to be delayed and the, the history of delays of Zack Snyder movies I mean let's look at let's look at uh, Batman v Superman it was delayed not because of Zack Snyder it was delayed because DC decided hey we need to figure out what the DC extended universe is going to be can basically map it all out and it just basically gave them a chance to kind of go back maybe uh, recalibrate the story a little bit and set it up for the roadmap of what was to come so it's not going to be delayed to 2018. And then do you think the CGI Doomsday looks good? Will they improve the effects? Uh, we, we talked about this on our trailer review. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the uh, one, they are not going to improve the effects because they have a final cut. They have a rating. That means that movie is locked. Well, there might be some 
very subtle things that have been done since the trailer was put together. Right. But I think the CGI looks good. I just think that the model of Doomsday needs to grow. And as we discussed in our trailer review, I think he'll mutate and evolve from that moment to what I hope will be a more Doomsday looking version. Yeah. That's my hope. Yeah, I think so. Aaron will call the act. Uh, asks, how do y'all like the new 52 storylines so far? I've actually enjoyed them quite a bit. Um, uh, I haven't read all of them, to be honest with you. I've had to cut back my collection quite a bit. But the ones that I've read, you know, primarily Batman, uh, Superman, Justice League, uh, Grayson, Suicide Squad, I've pretty much enjoyed all of them. I, uh, that's kind of how I feel. Scott, now you collect all of them. Wh- which ones are your favorite? Uh, uh, the new Batgirl, Snyder's entire run on Batman, yeah. Jeff John's entire run, Justice League. Um, I liked Jeff John. I I liked Grant Morrison's early arc on Action Comics and Jeff John's run on Superman. Uh, the rest have been kind of, uh, I love Grayson. There's just been a lot of hit or miss. Like, I can't say, Scott Snyder's Batman is the one that I can say since the beginning of the New 52, I've just loved the entire run. I mean, yeah. we're coming on 50 issues. A Brian, a Brian Azzarello's run on Wonder Woman. You know, there's been a, a, the rest of the titles, there's like pockets here or there, but Scott Snyder on Batman, Jeff Johns on Justice League, and Brian Azzarello on Wonder Woman, consistent. Oh, Jeff Lemire on Green Arrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, there's a deluxe edition hardcover that was released today, being Wednesday, that fantastic Green Arrow comic. If mm-hmm. you have not read it, you mm-hmm. need to read it. Yeah. And I would I would just add this one last thing. On this. Uh, in terms of like the New 52 storylines, I don't think they're really any different than the pre-New 52 storylines that there's some that are great and some that just aren't that great. And it's it's really no different. You know, you're going to find some gems and sometimes there's going to be others that you that are just not going to appeal to you. And technically, it's not even the new 52 anymore. Right. So you know what? Yeah. Um, David W., who will get top billing in BVS, Henry Cavill or Ben Affleck? Ben Affleck. Yeah, I think it's already been decided, right? Ben Affleck is getting top billing. Cordarius Ector, do you guys think they will place Martian Manhunter in the DCEU Justice League? Yes. I hope so. Yeah, I think he will. Um, I, I This is not David Goyer, who famously does not like Martian Manhunter. I think Martian Manhunter is very well liked by the people that are kind of making the calls right now. So we will see him. And then Mr. Wayne asked, I am a new listener and I really enjoy the show. It's nice to see people shine a positive light on the DCU instead of looking for everything wrong with it. Keep the positivity flowing. Question is, what are your guys' opinions? on the current Harley Quinn comic. It sells so well, but I hear so much trash talked about it. I really love the voice Amanda and Jimmy have given to Harley, and Chad's artwork is perfect for this book. Needless to say, I enjoy this book each and every month, and if you're not reading it, I would strongly recommend Scott. Um, I love the book. Um, he's talking about Amanda Khan and Jimmy Palmiotti yeah. and Chad Harden. It is a fantastic book. It is just fun and a little racy. So it's mm-hmm. one of those books that it's definitely for an older audience. It's kind of got a Deadpool feel to it where it's very on the nose. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's hilarious and fun and it's a great read. Uh, people who trash talk it, uh, you know, it's they're trash talking it, they're trash talking it because it, uh, besides Scott Snyder's Batman, it is one of it's probably like the second or third highest month month to month title DC puts out. Yeah, it's a great book. Oh, you need to pick it up. It is so much fun. Cool. Well, that was it, man. I think we got through all of the listener questions. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that's a podcast. 
Yeah, this will definitely be our longest episode yet. <laughs> you already said it at the beginning of the show. You don't get to say it again at uh, the end of the show. But I have to say it here. So anyway, I want to go ahead and just say, man, we had a ton of fun with this. And I think we need to do this more often. Uh, let us know what you thought of it, because this is going to be a haul to listen to it. And uh, let us know if you want to see more of this, if you want us to talk some more about, uh, you know, whatever you guys want to talk about. And uh, we'll see. We'll find some time to do it. Maybe we'll do it quarterly or something like that. So, you know, that's it for this podcast, this very long podcast. Thank Thank you so much. If you're still listening at this point, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoy the show and the discussion. And if you want to be somebody who gets to have their comments or questions read, you need to contact us. You can get us on Twitter at Suicide Squadcast. You can contact me individually at ScottDC27. Tim, where can they contact you? You can reach me at Twitter at Alan Fire. And if you want to reach us via email, you can reach us at SuicideSquadcast at gmail.com. And as you guys know, we answer all tweets and emails. Uh, maybe not right away, but I think we eventually get to every single one of them. We love to interact with you guys, so please do not hesitate to reach out to us. We spend it, we devote an entire episode to you guys, yes. so obviously we love to interact with you. Yep. And please subscribe. New year, new podcast. Become a subscriber today. iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, yep. Satchel Player, Google Play Music, RSS Feed. Find us, subscribe to us. Do not miss an episode. 2016 is going to be epic yes, it is. for DC. And we have an assignment for you guys. Spread the word about our show. Wherever you go travel on the internet, uh, if you have some good things about our show that you want to say, please do so. We want to just continue to build the audience. And if you have bad things to say, keep them to yourself. Yeah. Just remember, we're trying to build up a positive DC fan base. Scott, did you know that we had four five-star written reviews on iTunes this week? I did. I did. I did. Now, our first one comes from what, from the UK. The UK, yes. It? Yes. How about you read it? Because you're the one who found it. Okay. So this is from OJ H with a little side smiley face. Very cute. Uh, he says, good job. A great podcast. I enjoy listening to it every week. It's down to earth. It's a show that talks about the comics and characters to making the movies. It's very informative and I like the fact that they're DC fans but not Marvel haters. No bad language in it, which is great. Please keep it up. Thank you, OJH. That is an awesome review. And then Linda Max says, we're simply the best. And she put it succinctly, the best DC podcast. So happy I found it. Yep. Right to the point. I like it, Linda Max. Thank you very much. This next one comes from The Bat Brand, and he titles it DCEU Sanctuary. I like that title. He says, after a simple search of DC movie news podcasts, I accidentally stumbled upon this one, and it's the best discovery in a long time. Being a big supporter of the rise of the DCEU, it's nice to get all the news that I would be sifting through myself normally. The banter between Scott and Adam... We need need to talk, Tim. We we need to talk. Okay. Uh, He goes on to say, the banter between Scott and Adam, uh, I'm Tim, by the way, is awesome, especially for two guys who have never met in person. Uh, (laughs) I almost said in prison. So Uh, with two DC titles coming (laughs) coming out next year, I see 2016 being a great year for this podcast. And also, I personally think the intro music is dope. In your face, Romeo. (laughs) I get excited for Suicide Squad every time I hear it. Keep it up, guys. And this is actually from Brandon Bam, I think, who we're connected with on Twitter. And then our final final review for the week comes from San Filipino 12. Great DC podcast. The search for a great DC comics podcast is over. These guys are funny, but can be serious when they need to be. They cover all of the latest news and keep the listeners up to date. They also have great reviews on shows and movies related to DC comics. I'm actually planning on starting a comic podcast 
with a friend of mine. He'll cover Marvel and I'll cover DC in the upcoming months. This show has been a gr- big inspiration for me to start that podcast. I really like what these guys do, and I hope that my future podcast can be even half as good as theirs. Wow. Well, th- wow. Thank <laughs> you. I've never been an inspiration before, and I'm a teacher. That's saying something. <laughs> That's saying something. All right. <laughs> so, no, this is great. I, I love this review, uh, San Filipe- Fil- Filippo. Thank you so much for that. And when you get your podcast going, let us know, and we'll give you a little shout out on that. Oh, definitely. And best of luck to you. And, and uh, anyway, we are now just one away from the next giveaway. And uh, so just as a reminder, we've already had two winners of our contest. Uh, first was James Prezak. He won the Suicide Squad trade paperback that we gave away for our first contest. Romeo, who hates my intro music, actually won the new 52 Batman figure. And we are now one away. So if you want to have a one in 10 chance to win this contest, leave us a five star written review on iTunes and you will automatically be entered into this contest. You have a 10 percent chance of winning something. And remember, it's for a uh, any DC Comics trade paperback up to a $15 value. That's right. Yep. So that's it. I think we, it is time for us to end this monster episode. Scott, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, guys, this has been a lot of fun. Please continue to be the great fans that you've been. And, and uh, we love to interact as we've shown you here and we'll continue to do so. So we hope you guys had a wonderful end of 2015. And this will be the first podcast coming out in 2016. And guys, we have a, a great, enormous, fantastic, fun year ahead of us. So hang on to your seats because we're just getting started. Happy New Year, guys. Yep. We'll see you later. Tim, honestly, this episode's already been so long. Can we please just skip the little bit at the end this time? Oh, come on, man, Scott. We've done this bit since episode one. We're not going to stop now. Yes, we can. Oh, how are you going to keep me from doing this bit? Okay, check, 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 check. Okay. Check, 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 check